Welcome to episode 155 of the Round Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode is appropriately enough titled The Spectacular Comic-Con 2017 as it's our slightly belated Comic-Con episode. We're a couple days late, but we, we made it. Uh, we were at Comic-Con, Nintendo's at Comic-Con, and that means there's a lot to discuss about Comic-Con. But we were barely at Nintendo. We were barely at Nintendo because Nintendo, for some reason, decided it was a good idea to have line caps and lines just to get in to look at the games. But we'll get to that. Besides just... Um, Nintendo. We're also going to be talking a bit about the convention as a whole and this trend that seems to be emerging around games getting media adaptations that actually don't suck, which is kind of a nice surprise. We're not used to seeing that very much. Plus, we're going to be discussing some events outside of Comic-Con that didn't go quite as well as Comic-Con did, namely uh, Pokemon Go Fest and the whole debauchery of the... Or not debauchery, but the whole debacle of the Switch Online app going live in the voice chat with all that. Plus, we got some new Switch games to discuss. Uh, I have a sales corner... And before we get to any of that, we also have hands-on impressions straight from the show floor of the new 2DS XL, Hey Pikmin, and Flip Wars for Switch. Um, if you want other games like Mario Odyssey and Mario and Rabbids and all that, check out our E3 episode, episode 153. But if anything on that list I just read off sounds of interest to you, we have timestamps for downtown.com so you can jump directly to those specific points of the episode if you go to the blog post. Otherwise, I guess let's kick things off with the single most comfortable member of the 2DS, or sorry, 3DS family, which is the new 2DS XL, at least in my opinion. Um, I think I'm the only one that tried it. That is correct. Because the lines at Nintendo were so nutty that we only got one go-round and you were focusing on other games while I did that. That is correct. So. You're two for two. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Yeah, what a a winning streak I have today. But uh, yeah, so just to kind of set the scene here a bit with the uh, 2DS XL. I should probably say up front that um, I had zero interest in buying one of these things. I have three separate 3DSs already. It's hard to justify wanting a fourth 3DS, especially now that the Switch is out. Like, there's really no reason to need another 3DS. And yet, coming away from my time at the system, I kind of now want one, that's I think. Correct. I don't... I don't did you say that's correct? <laughs> oh, you saw my tweet about this a few days ago. Uh, I, I don't think i want one enough to pull the trigger but man it's a really really nice system like nintendo did a good job with this thing the um like when you pick it up did you even have a chance to like touch it at all no right no yeah the, the first thing when you pick it up that you'll if you ever try it that you'll notice is it is so light i mean nintendo said it weighed about the same as the old 2ds you know the doorstop looking one the triangle but i don't think i did i didn't realize i'm pretty sure most people don't realize just how much lighter that actually feels than any of the clamshell 3ds's it's a huge difference. Like it's even even with the current 3ds XL I own, I feel like long play sessions still kind of give me a cramp, or my wrist gets a little tired because you know you're holding it for so long, it has a little heft. But I don't I don't think the 2ds XL would do that. It's so light that that alone always makes it worthwhile. But um, it's also just really well built, at least from my poking and prodding it. Because you know I only played it for when playing Hey Pikmin, but that's kind of you know closing it, opening it pushing it poking it and if you hit certain spots in like older 3ds's the original xl was notorious for this um you kind of get a little creaking or there'd be some flex in the plastic or something i did not find a spot that would do that on the t on the uh, new 2ds xl at least not you know in this 15 20 minutes i had with it but it, it just feels like really solid there's also a lot of really good design decisions that nintendo like corrected pretty much all the wrongs of the rest of the lineup like the the game slot now has a cover so you can't 
accidentally press the game out as you're playing because the game slots, you know, it's in the front of the system, kind of like the 3DS XL was, um, new 3DS XL. So it is, or I think on 3DS it's in back. Either way, on the old one, it was somewhere where if you hold it just right, you can actually shoot your game out while you're playing it. I've done that once. Really? I've done that once, yes. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 cause I, I do remember you mentioning that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And for the life of me, I could never even like try to replicate it. Well, it's because of where it was placed. So, Because I, I would rest the system in my palm in a certain way that would press in. So as soon as I moved my hand in a different angle, it would shoot back out. Mm. So it was running like half, you know, like it does the click in, then it pops out. All right. So I was doing the click. I was holding it in the click in for a long period of time, not knowing. So it just fell out. This doesn't have that issue. You also don't need to unscrew the back of it, which is great. Like my new 3DS XL, they put the SD card slot next to the battery and you take off the whole back. This one, it's under the same flap as the game card, which is just... So much more convenient, so nice, and I do kind of like the top of the th- of the system. Um, it looks a little Fisher Pricey with the kind of ridges, the plasticky ridges, but it it's also kind of cool. And what I noticed is when I closed it in clamshell and kind of swung it in my hand a little, it's a grip. So for kids that have this system, who Nintendo's targeting, you don't have to worry about like a slippery system flying across the room as a kid's swinging it as they walk or whatever. You have to worry about them now choosing to throw it across the room, which I'm sure some will, but. Um, I think if there's one thing I had to complain about with the new 2DS XL, at least my time with it, it's the stylus. Like, it's not horrible, but it's noticeably shorter than the th- new 3DS XL, noticeably shorter than I think all the other 3DSs. And, you know, now that you think about it, actually, it's not just the stylus. There's also really weird placement of some other features. The speakers are now... So sp- the speakers on all Nintendo systems were always, you know, next to the screen on the top half of the clamshell. This time around... Because the clamshell is so um, thin, they moved the speakers to the rim of the bottom half of the system. This is something they didn't really show in the sizzle reel when they first announced it. But like, if you're so if you're holding the system, you know, like the power button's kind of on the curve as it from the front to the back. For lack of a better term, you know what I'm saying like where the cartridge slot is, like it's on that rim, kinda. So the speakers are on either so it's side. More of, like a phone. Yeah, the speakers are on the rim like a phone. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's like a phone, and that's. I can't say if that's good or bad in terms of sound quality because um, there was no way to hear it at Comic-Con. Like, no way to hear the speakers. They had headphones. but And it was loud. But um, the speakers, they're not in the middle of the 2DS, which would make sense. They're on the edges, like to the far sides of the power button and the, and the, speak, and the game card slot, which means, depending on how you hold your system, you very well could have the speaker just blowing noise right into your wrist, which would then just muffle it. So that's something I'll have to weigh and see if I see it in the real world, but that was a bit of a cause for concern, like you're going to maybe have a quieter system. Likewise, I don't quite understand why the 3D cameras, which are really there for like, what, the two times you're going to use AR cards when you buy your system, maybe, but I don't know why those 3D cameras are now on the bottom of the system. So like when you put the 3DS down on a table, you're putting it on the cameras. And I know smartphones do this, but when smartphones do it, they have sapphire glass to protect the scratch, you know, those lenses from getting scratched. I don't think Nintendo's splurging for sapphire glass on a budget 2DS. So that just seems like a bad design choice. But but that aside, it is pretty cool. It is probably the most comfortable uh, 3DS there is. Realistically, I don't think I'm going to buy one, in part because I do still like the 3D effect. You stuttered. Huh? You paused. I know. I, I, yeah, I haven't I'm fully committed, but I don't think I'm going to buy one because I do like the 3D effect of the 3DS XL and and frankly, my days of playing the 3DS are pretty numbered. You know, switches around. I don't think I'm going to be playing the 3DS that much. But if you don't care about 3D at all, 
and you want to upgrade to the new line with the better processor and get access to those what six exclusive games that use the better processor um the 2s xl is probably the, a really good way to go i mean the, the screen itself is very bright and vibrant and great so that might be worth it alone for some people but on the flip side of all this if you do want 3d and you do want to upgrade to a new 3ds and don't yet have one do it now do it sooner rather than later because nintendo is already starting to discontinue the other variants um over in europe and in japan the smaller new nintendo 3ds not the xl it the smaller one is uh already discontinued and nintendo is probably gonna keep whittling down the selection of 3ds's until they just have 2ds xl because frankly this guy's got the best margins of any of the variants that have come out over the years because you know no 3d so yeah so that's kind of the 3ds xl in a nutshell um i mean sorry the 2ds xl in a nutshell also they really need to end this naming scheme it's ridiculous but that's the um new 2ds in a nutshell it's a great it's the most comfortable one yet it's a great system but if you want 3d don't get it if you don't need to upgrade a for this isn't unless you need to upgrade don't bother it says it doesn't feel like enough of an upgrade to make it worthwhile to like quadruple dip or double dip or triple dip but if you're coming from a pre-new system then possibly that that's kind of it in a nutshell looking um, back what do you think they should have done with the naming scheme because i'm trying to remember i guess they tend to compare it to and the psp they went with like psp 1000 2000 3000 and i think they've i think the 3000 was their slimmest one and then the goal was just something completely different well but i mean how would you you know that's the thing you is V2, <sighs> deluxe that's a good question and it's weird because it's weird because what they did makes sense in the context of what they of how they did it like they came out with the 3ds and then they said no wait let's make one without 3d we need to give it a name that makes sense you can't call it the 2d 3d so 2ds that makes sense but then they saw what apple is doing with ipads where they would do um you know yearly upgrades with just new specs and then just call it the new ipad they didn't officially call it that like if you went to apple.com it wasn't like ipad 2 new ipad it's just ipad 2 ipad and people had to say i want the new ipad but in terms like well we could do that just put it on the box and call it new so that's how we got the new 3ds and then they've been doing the xl regular thing since the dsi i think or since yeah since the dsi so that was just kind of already in place so really it's just like circumstance that they ended up with a system with new nintendo 2ds xl that said i don't exactly know how i would change it it kind of makes sense if you if you pick it apart it makes sense the problem is they have four different varieties five different varieties of 3ds that all are very similarly named because they have all these like different branching paths so i could choose your own adventure book except there is no well i guess there is a happy ending i guess all five endings are happy depending on what you're looking for but the problem is you don't necessarily know what you're looking for if you don't understand the product line in advance so yeah i have no idea i mean what would you do like i i don't even know like because um i don't know i guess i would keep it the same it's just really fun to make fun of yeah because i'm just thinking like when they do an eventual switch update it's probably gonna be like the switch new or may i don't know if it'll be this new switch maybe like switch deluxe switch dx but then what happens if they make like a bigger switch or a smaller switch then you're kind of in the same boat i mean they could just go back to the xl or slim yeah well, or light which is what literally everyone does i mean you got your ps4 slim ps4 slim what is xbox do this is xbox the... has one s and one x which is really confusing because the abbreviation for the xbox one x is just xbox xbox <laughs> xbox one x yeah. so so it's like, hey, can I get the Xbox? And they're like, which one? You're like, the Xbox. 
like the S or the X, like the Xbox. Yeah. Well, I'm like, what was the thing Xbox at that point? Well, the, the parent might not know because they might have just seen. Well, yeah, yeah the, presumably well, they know yeah. X or S. Yeah, and also S and X sound very similar. At least when Nintendo did this, they like Wii U sounds nothing like like Wii Zapper or Wii Wheel. Like we picked apart that bad naming scheme forever on the show, but like at least they were full words that had totally different sounds. S and X are almost identical if you say them fast enough. So I don't know, but yeah, I don't know what Nintendo do. I, honestly, I think what they could have done is instead of new. 2DS and 3DS, it could have done 3DS Lite and 2DS Lite. But part of the pitch, or well, not really the pitch, but they weren't lighter. They were the same weight, if not heavier, so that doesn't really work. But like, Lite is pretty clearly something different than the others. Some, I don't know. It's hard to say. But should you go, anyone listening, the new 2DS, uh, 2DS XL route, it is available this Friday, July 28th, alongside both Metopia and Hey Pikmin. And last episode, I shared my impressions of Metopia, which you also didn't play. It's like the Jason Hour right now. And now this episode, thanks to Comic-Con and technically the eShop, I didn't play it there. Um, I also have gone hands-on with Pikmin for 3DS. Hey, Pikmin. So I thought I would share some thoughts on that real quick. Um, I, to be honest, just to be upfront about this, I've been very torn about this game since it was first announced. I know, like, we talked about it when it was first announced. I think we both kind of were like, oh, it's nothing. It, we kind of wrote it off, right? I still do. Right, yeah, and and here's the thing. I was I was torn about when it was first announced. I'm sh- I'm still not sure if the demo changed that. I think I don't think I've had any opinion change after playing the demo. It's exactly the same and like oh as I had before. And the thing is, I love Pikmin games. Like I know you do too, but like I really like the characters. I love the RTS style, like Nintendoized RTS gameplay. It's always really fun. And to its credit, Hey Pikmin tries to keep that intact. It just morphs from being a top-down 3D RTS to, like, a side-scrolling platforming RTS. And in the developer's defense, it does work on a surface level. Like, you control Olimar with the sticker to face buttons. Every other aspect's on the touchscreen. You're walking through a level on the lower screen. You, you know, you see some Pikmin behind a bush or maybe up on the top screen. You calm over by tapping the whistle button. They come over. You then just tap on objects and enemies to send Pikmin one at a time to hit them. You know, one taps, one Pikmin. And that works like on the surface that is pikmin you find pikmin you enlist pikmin you go have your pikmin do things and you assign them one by one to that task that's exactly what pikmin is at its root base pikmininess or whatever but the problem is i and i think you probably agree pikmin one two three they all do a whole lot more with that yeah, I mean, you're micromanaging a lot more things. It's yes. literally just Kirby's mass attack. Yeah, hey, Pikmin, exactly. It does not do much with that. So, And with games that I normally, that I don't plan on getting, I typically just end up watching, like, the last few levels. Sometimes just to see, like, all right, like, does it get any more complicated or does mm-hmm. it actually rev up and challenge? Well, we don't know yet with Pikmin. It's not out, but... Oh, then how did... Oh, it must have been... Review copy or... Review copy then, because someone already... I'm surprised that was not embargoed. I guess, yeah, because someone, I guess, beat the game and just uploaded basically all the levels. So I already saw, like, the final boss battle, the final level. Um, does it look not more challenging? Because that's my, it, that's it, my it, thing is I'm holding out hope so that maybe It looks so disappointingly easy. Like, I'm like, really? This is yeah. all I have to do for the final battle? Like, wow. Like, I, I was, I was like, really sad and disappointed because I really wanted it to look like it got harder, but it still looks... It looks easier than Mass Attack, which that that's sad. And, the, and, and, and so Mass then Attack's I, a Kirby game. Kirby games usually skewed towards kids. Yeah, so, so I ended up, so I ended, up so I ended up watching every <laughs> boss battle yeah. and just like a few of the levels. And yeah, it looks like it never changes in difficulty. That's really like, disappointing. Actually, from like the beginning to the end, because that's the thing is like 
there there's so much of it that they could have like there's so many signs that that was going to be what was going to happen like when i was playing it you pretty don't much what we expected I yeah because like there, but there's just so much but not in what it. we wanted yeah there, i was just gonna say like there's just so much in it that like if you think of a pikmin game you're like oh yeah you you know there's all these different levels that of things you have to do like for example in real pikmin you have to grow your pikmin out of the ground and then pluck them you know you you plant them you grow you pluck them you do all that and this one you just kind of call them over and they're there and you're like great there's my pikmin or like if you find an item in real pikmin you have to make sure you know they, it goes back to the ship and you have to go back to the ship with it to get your pikmin back yeah, and make sure they get there safely them. and then more Correct. recent pikmins have just turned um, managing multiple captains a staple so now it's right. like all right, well, these Pikmin are doing these things that could lead to another place and do this thing with others. Mm-hmm. This one's all kind of confined to the one screen, the screen you're on. Which, like, like so for the item thing I was getting at, like, you they, you know where the Pikmin take the item? To you. And then it magically floats away. <laughs> and that's it. Like, it's just to you. Huh. So it's just, like, there's no huge world where you just have multiple camps of Pikmin and multiple captains doing th- different things. It's kind of your point. That's all on one screen. It's just this side-scrolling level. And even then, it's confined to what you can currently see. Which is a bit disappointing. I think it gets a little close to replicating the bigger world feel in one way, but barely. And that's the fact that they actually kind of leverage the top screen in some interesting ways, kind of. In the sense of, like, Olimar can't jump. Olimar can't do anything. He's stuck on the bottom screen. But you sometimes have to figure out obstacles or enemies or whatnot on the top screen, which requires a bit of puzzle solving. But even that is way shallower than any real Pikmin game. Like, it's a step in the right direction of what a Pikmin game should be, but this is not Honestly, I feel like, true Pikmin. I feel like Nintendo Nintendo's capable of making a more in-depth Pikmin that isn't... doesn't have to be exactly how it was on the consoles, but I'm sure they could have done something better. This honestly feels like a game that was planned for iOS and Android, but they ended up just keeping on the 3DS for some reason. Like, that's the kind of conversion and, like, decrease in, right. I guess, gameplay that I would expect from a transition. Just look at, like, you know, Super Mario Brothers and Super Mario Run. Yeah. Like, I mean, it just works. You just jump. This is like Pikmin, like, scrapped to its bare minimum. Yeah, it, it, it's fine because, it like... It could literally work as an... Like, it's it's vertical-based. It, it would have worked on an iPhone. Yeah, it, it's fine because playing through it, like, actually going hands-on with it, it reminded... It really felt like it was a Pikmin game grafted on top of, like, Yoshi's Island DS or New Yoshi's Island or something like that. Like, or Yoshi's New Island or whatever that one was called. Like... I feel like previously I kept making these comparisons. Oh, it's like Chibi Robo Ziplash. You know, it's a game based on exploration, Pikmin or Chibi Robo. You know, 3D exploration, and then they flattened it out and made it a side-scrolling game. But gameplay-wise, yeah, it's it's straight up just Yoshi's Island, but you throw things. Like, it's the same, like, exploration, heavy element. It's, it's every stage has, like, hidden tre- treasures to seek out, uh, which basically means that every single level you have to go leave no stone unturned. Like, it's very much Yoshi's Island, but because Yoshi's Island is so simplistic compared to Pikmin, yeah, it feels better suited as, like, an introduction to Pikmin for smartphones than, you know, a real Pikmin. And none of this is to say it's necessarily a bad game. Like, the charm is still there. The Pikmin, all their personalities, the game itself has it in its writing. Like, you know, every time you find hidden item, like a barrier or whatever, it still has the funny descriptions that make it seem like this strange foreign object you've never seen before. Like, they tried to do that. And and to its credit, contrary to every screenshot I've ever seen of the game, it looks quite nice running on the 2DS XL. It's just the game's so simple, to your point. It's so, yeah, smartphone-y. In the same way that, like, Ziplash... But, you know, I mean, it's just not aimed at us. Yeah, I, for, exactly. exactly. For, for a kid's, like, first game or even an introduction to Pikmin, that's actually... I feel like it's a really good game. I feel like this is the kind of game that you would give, like, a kid who you feel like is starting to get aggressive video games and they're... You do the candle it and it's like, oh, if you like that and you beat it, well, then wait till you see the real Pikmin. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I never thought I'd use this term, but 
hey, Pikmin felt too kitty. Like, I have hated when people are, Nintendo's kitty. But, because, I mean, I get it. They, you have kids. Kitty. Nintendo yeah. can be kitty. They do stuff that appeals to kids. But I've always viewed them as like a Pixar Disney situation where... It's for all it's, ages. Yeah, but no. Hey, Pikmin <laughs> is for kids. It really feels like it's for kids. Or, you know, honestly, if you just want like a relaxing game where you're kind of just mindlessly looking for things. Or not mindlessly, but, you know, you're just sort of casually playing. Maybe you have TV, the TV on. You want something to do with your hands. It's not a fidget spinner. This would be a good choice for that. It is pretty like laid back. It's just not true Pikmin. So I guess ultimately what it really boils down to is like whether or not I was gonna say whether or not the gameplay gets more intense, but according to you it doesn't. So nope. So I guess the best way to view this is it's not a handheld Pikmin. It is a spin off platformer that just happens to have Pikmin in it. And if you go into it with that approach, there's that's one thing. But if you go in expecting full Pikmin it is not full Pikmin. And this is why, again, when I said, like, I kind of came out of the demo indifferent, like, I went into it, like, not sure what to think. It's like, well, I knew it wasn't real Pikmin, so I can't be too disappointed because I wasn't expecting that. But it is kind of what it's pitched as, which is, like, this half Pikmin, half platform. I, mean, I don't know. I it's have, weird. I mean, I, I'm, I'm totally indifferent. I mean, I wouldn't have minded if it was, I mean, if it still had this gameplay, as long as I could just rev up in difficulty at some point. But, yeah, but it doesn't, apparently. doesn't look like it doesn't. That might be why, honestly, Nintendo barely promoted this thing. Like, if you look back at how they've been promoting some of their stuff, like even Metopia, uh, it's getting more attention than Pikmin in marketing. So it, it makes sense in retrospect. But but yeah, so that that's uh, Hey Pikmin. I, again, I wouldn't say I'm disappointed because I went in without much expectation. But if you want real Pikmin, this is not real Pikmin. So just please be aware. And, and the, the bummer is, this is why it's stuff like this that really is kind of disappointing because like developers put time and energy into this thing. There's a team at Arzest or whatever that company is um, that really, you know, had a vision assigned to them by someone at Nintendo who wanted to make money and uh, or something and really were like, this is how we're going to do it. This is how it's going to work. And they probably put a lot of time and effort to, into it. So it kind of sucks that we're just like, oh, yeah, it's not Pikmin. It's not good enough. But for some audience out there, probably kids, it does what it does well. It's just not for us, like you were saying before. Yeah. I always feel bad when I, like, say negative things about games for that reason because like this, someone's life is in this like someone spent months on this thing or years on this thing depending on the game like even my number nine when that came out like everyone bashed and i was like yeah maybe they screwed up but like there were people that really were like putting time and effort yeah, and i mean it. again like we're not saying this game sucks no it doesn't it's, it's good at what it is from the demo i played exactly it's perfectly good at what it it's is. good at what it is but yeah. what it is is not for us <laughs> bingo yeah uh, now, one game we both got to play at Comic-Con was, uh, this was the first time it was playable in North America. It was also just announced to be coming to North America on August 10th, and that is Flip Wars. And if you don't recognize the name Flip Wars, you may know it by its Japanese title, Project Makuru. This is that Switch game that popped up in the January presentation where there were basically people running around ground-pounding tiles to try and steal as much turf from other people. It's like Bomberman mixed with Splatoon. Sort of. I mean, it's like literally, it's like Splatoon in the sense of like, it's right as you walk into Emmy's colors. So it's it's a grid. I should give some back background here. It's a grid. You ground pound, color shoot around. Any I'm time. Sure, I'm sure this is a Mario Party mini game, and if it isn't, actually, it is. It is. Yeah, in Mario Party Eight. Wait, let me explain what it was real quick. <laughs> I was gonna say it's, it's also a Mario. Par- it's also a mini game in Crash Bash. Regardless of what <laughs> mini game you've played it as, if you don't know what we're talking about, it's basically you're in a re- you're in a bunch of tiles. You ground pound the tile you hit, and it's touching tiles all turn to the same color, and you want to get as much turf as you as you can, as, spread your color as much as you can. Um, so if you walk into enemies' colors, you walk slower. If you're in your own tile, you walk faster, just like Splatoon. But it's all Bomberman style in presentation. It's basically Bomberman without bombs, 
and it's a you know it's a simple mechanic uh stomp tiles to win but it's what they're trying to do is give variety through different stuff that happens in those levels that you're playing so there's different layouts of the grid there's different items there's different obstacles you can you know like some of the items i mean i you said i didn't even notice the items when we were playing you said you got items they're very passive well what sort of stuff are we talking about there were some pickups that just like increase your mobility or they just like throw a bomb also, I guess there's bombs in here. That's all I really noticed. Uh, yeah, but there, there's also some stuff like if you get in layer levels, I was watching some footage afterwards, and like there's lasers, there's uh, obstacles that will block your color from expanding across the map should you have enough connecting tiles like to make it you know a little more difficult. You also have the ability to ground pound into people, which will shoot them off the map briefly, giving you a chance to kind of steal their spots for their respawn. Um, there's actually two other modes. So the mode we played was basically Sp- Splatoon Turf War. Get as much color as you can. But the other two modes are kind of almost Smash Bros-esque. One is Gesme KOs or knockoffs as you can in the time limit. And the other is Stock Battle. So the reverse of that where you're trying to be the last man standing. Mm. Um, the thing is, you, me, and a third friend, we all played it. And we somehow, without now that I, now I know in retrospect, we were playing the simplest level with like barely anything going on in it. And I think I was kind of like, this is all right. Like we didn't really, you know, like neither, I don't think any of us were blown away. Didn't really have longevity to it. But then in watching the stuff afterwards, I was kind of, I kind of had second thoughts. I was kind of like, I mean, this is literally the same formula as Barman, just without bombs. So if they're, you know, it's the same idea of like you take a core gameplay concept, stomp tiles, throw bombs, and then build levels around that that do different things that affect how that works. And I don't know why necessarily Barman would be great and this one wouldn't, except for the fact that we got stuck with the most basic level. It's like if you go on a Barman stage and all you have is an empty field. It's kind of like, oh, that's not very fun. I don't know. I was actually going to disagree and say that that's that's not fun. Because I've played, um, even Barman's simplest field is still really fun. But but Barman's simplest field still has like obstacles and stuff. This simplest field that we did for Flipboard was literally a rectangle. Well, with nothing I mean, in it. Well, I mean, that wasn't my issue with, like, having... My issue was just at speed. Yeah, it was a little slow. That, I mean, the gameplay or the lack of obstacles, like... I mean, I thought that was fine because all that does is um give you more chances to plot out exactly what is the right place to do your ground pound. Mm-hmm. But the speed is just what bothered me, or it just felt way too slow. Even with all the speed pickups that I got, I felt like... Everything was just going way too slow. Oh, yeah, there were items. I got speed pickups, too. I forgot about that until just now. Yeah. Remember, I was like, I didn't have items. No, I did. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I guess there was... It was kind of slow. I'll give you that. And and the, you, the thing... Here's the thing about Flipboards that I'm, that I'm kind of concerned about. Not so much even the speed. is like, even if they pick up the speed with an update, which, you know, Bomberman got huge updates that really changed a lot. The camera angle, everything. Uh, if Flipboards were to do that... They still run into this is- issue of like it's totally dependent on how many other people are playing it, and I know that's true for like every multiplayer game. But like, there's no single player here. Locally, if you have a Switch and you want to play multiplayer uh, Flip Wars, you better hope you have friends coming over to play Flip Wars. That's all you get. If you're playing online, you better hope this game gets enough traction to play online. Like what I've seen out of Europe, when kind of researching the game a bit, is more often than not you don't have enough people online, or if you do, they all drop out before the three minute time limit's up. So it's kind of like that is nothing the developers can do to, you know, they can't fix that unless they make some big push or something. But that could hamstring the game before it even comes out, which is kind of a bummer. But yeah, if they, if they fix the speed, I think this, I would add this to my rotation or I'd add this to our rotation of multiplayer stuff if it was faster, right? 
possibly. Yeah, it has, it has potential. Also, I really don't understand why there are no Mies. Originally, this game had Mies in it instead of these like Federation Force-looking characters. But for whatever reason, I think they're still in the Japanese version, but for whatever reason, Town took them out here. So, yeah, so that's Flip Wars. Not a ton to say about it, but it's basically Bomber without bombs. So, um, it's out August 10th for anyone who, who's interested. We didn't give it the most glowing assessment, but it is what it is. Um, separate from all these games, Nintendo also at their gaming lounge at Comic Con had the just announced uh, Super Nintendo Classic on display under a glass case. And it's, you know, a tiny Super Nintendo. I mean, granted, it has neat features like, you know, the ports for the new controllers are actually hidden under dummy ports for the old controller, and then you fold down a flap, and there they are. But still, it's, you know, a tiny Super Nintendo. So it's uh, it's funny because, like, a year ago, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because I kind of came to this realization when I saw it, but it's funny that a year ago, I was super excited to see the NES Classic. It's like a physical thing at Comic-Con. Like, oh, look at that tiny NES. Like, the games are fun and whatnot, but I was into that tiny con- console itself. Like, I just thought that was awesome. And then this year, I'm kind of whatever about the physicals, miniature Super Nintendo, but I'm really, really excited about the games like Star Fox 2. It's that kind of a weird reversal that I didn't expect to be the case until I actually saw the Super Nintendo in person. It's just kind of like, ah, there it is. All right. Well, last year was like, oh my god, there it is. All right, you know? So I, I think I think besides the NES Classic being kind of the first of its kind in like the mini line of Nintendo systems, I think part of it is just, and maybe you disagree with this because I know you hopped in with Super Nintendo really, but I think part of it's just like, maybe it's just me, the NES de- design just feels more iconic to me. Um, Like, you're going to disagree, I know, but, but hear know. me out. I mean, I don't really know what to say except... No. <laughs> I mean, it could be more iconic to the general public. I mean, isn't that just what iconic means? It yeah, yeah, It doesn't really matter what I think. If something's iconic, yeah. it's iconic. Well, also, just the design in like, general. Like, I think like, the NES is a better design than Super I mean, like, Nintendo. Like, Superman or Batman's emblem? Well, yeah, yeah. Like, that's just iconic. Well, it could icon- be, it, it could be really stupid, that, but yeah. it's iconic. I mean, what? well, do you like the Super Nintendo design? For me, it's always been kind of meh. Like, mm. I don't know. I think the Super Famicom looks a lot better, honestly. Like, I have nothing wrong with the Super Nintendo. It's just, like... This I don't know why it has the purple accents while Japan got like rainbow like it had the four rainbow. I mean I think I like out. it solely based on just nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I always thought the NES looked really boring, but for some reason just because the Super Nintendo was my first system that I owned, yeah. it's just the one I really liked. I just liked how it looked. I like the purple, I like the blockiness of it. It's fine because that's how I feel about it. So the N64 is the first console I actually owned. Um, NES and Super Nintendo I'd never owned myself. And yeah, N64, a lot of people are like, this is a weird system, but I love the look of it. I love that three-prong controller. I shouldn't. The controller's really weird if you think about it. Like, really weird. <laughs> but I really like it, like, a lot. So I kind of get where you're coming from, yeah. But for me, at least, like, seeing the Super Nintendo, just like, oh, huh, okay. Like, the original was a meh kind of design. This one's a smaller meh, like, physically smaller. So... Yeah, but it, it's, it, it is interesting how much nostalgia plays into, like, a design or something. Because I'm sure there's some people who, like, like are like, oh, the... Actually, I was about to diss the Atari 2600, but wood panels on game consoles kind of cool. So I'm not, I'm not going to go there. But, yeah, I'm sure, uh, you know, like... I'm trying to think of a good... Like, PS3. That thing was weird. It looked like a George Foreman grill, the original one. But I'm sure there are some people that swear by that design and the Spider-Man font and all that. I didn't like the Spider-Man font. See, I didn't. I thought that's lame of Sony to try and piggyback one successful thing from their sta- like uh, staple. I don't know. So I just liked something it. else. I just I don't know what it was about it. It just felt really weird. It, it felt like to me is like, why well, don't just do Comic Sans? Like it's uh, it's already a font associated with so much. Why graph it on something else like that? Like I don't know. It just was bizarre to me. 
But well, people are different. But yeah, oh, of course, yeah. And uh, but yeah, I'm super excited to play the Super Nintendo. So it's great to see it for that. And knowing me, I'm going to go all in on this one, just like I did with the NES. Um, Prima announced a companion guide slash history book all about the Super Nintendo. It's coming out with the classic, much like the Diffranius last year. I'm pretty sure I'm going to be getting that because I'm a total sucker. So You are. Yep, I am. You know what was interesting? So when we were at Comic-Con, the pre-orders on Walmart went up for the Super Nintendo Classic. That is correct. And then it turned out they canceled a bunch of them the next day. Oh. Yeah, so I guess they jumped the gun or something, but a number of people got cancellations the next day. That's unfortunate. Yeah, but I just remember, I think, where were we? I was. Oh, we were back at your hotel because we had separate rooms. We were at your room at the time. Like a group of us, and I just like was looking at my phone. And I just blurred out like the Super Nintendo was up, and I was like, "What?" And I'm like, no, it, I missed it like by three hours, and everyone, no one cared except me, of course. But I was like freaking out, and yet, didn't matter in the end, I guess. Uh, but yeah, what, what's funny is all the stuff I'm saying about Super Nintendo and all that. We're going through this exact same song and dance one more time next year, so get ready, everyone, because at least it's looking like we're going through it next year. Because during Comic Con. A European Union IP filing by Nintendo surfaced for an N64 controller logo icon in the exact same art style as the NES Classic and Super NES Classic logos. You know, that kind of like outline one. And that means they are probably planning to do an N64 Classic. So that leads to the question of if they are doing one, which of course they are, uh, what would what would be some must have games on that system? Because I mean, I think everyone, or what would you, what do you think would be a good game for someone? Because there's a whole generation never had N64, so I know you don't buy these many systems. But if you were like, okay, I'm introducing N64, someone maybe I know you're not having a kid in the next year, but let's say you are, what, and you buy him this N64 when it comes out, what would be like the games on there that be like these are the ones you need to have, these are the ones you need to play, these are the 30 best games of that era of my childhood. Is there any that come to mind immediately? I can think of a few. Uh, I mean, besides, I don't know, Diddy Kong Racing, Super mm. Mario 64, Banjo-Kazooie. It'd be great if they got Rare back. Yeah. Because then they could also do GoldenEye, which I know a lot of people. Like, if they could get GoldenEye mm. on one of those things, a lot of people would eat. I know. Uh, no. No. I was about to say I know, but no. <laughs> I, thought that game, have... I thought that game was boring. I Did I ever tell you the story of how I ended up with it? By yes, sure. you did many times. Okay, well, and, me, I, and I know you've also told have me I said it on the podcast. Yes, you well, have. for those who haven't heard, I'll make it really quick. Basically, right. GameStop. I'll go was, on my phone right now. You're not. You're playing with a Lego block. You're not even on your phone. You liar. I said I'll go on my no, phone. No, but essentially, yeah. So I didn't know what goal and I was. I was eight when I got my N64. But um, the guy at Software Etc. was like, I was trying to pick out games. He's like, Oh, we have this rare one. It's called Goldeneye. It's really good. And I'm like, Ooh, rare. Thinking, Oh, like it's rare. Like I should get because there's not many. Then I get home and boo it up, and sure enough, there's the uh, Rareware logo, and I piece together in my eight-year-old brain, oh, it's by Rare. It's not physically Rare. But I'm very happy I had it, because it was a really good game. But yeah, I think I think if they could get the Rare franchises back, like them and Microsoft are pretty buddy-buddy now after, you know, the Minecraft cross-play stuff. So if they if they can get Microsoft to give up GoldenEye, Banjo-Kazooie, Diddy Kong Racing. Well, I think Nintendo is the code for Diddy Kong Racing, but they could get well, all that back. Do. I mean, they, oh, yeah, they had for, DS. Yeah, but that. Rare Rare developed it as a partnership with Microsoft again. But if they could do all that, it'd be really cool and a pretty big grab if they can get you know all that on N64 Mini. And I think I think Microsoft would probably be fine with it. They're platform agnostic now in many ways. They want money, I'm sure, and this is an easy way to make money. I mean, other third parties are hopping on the NES and Super Nintendo. It shouldn't be that hard. To get Microsoft on this one, but 
But uh, obviously, I think, you know, Smash Bros., the original Smash Bros. has to be on there. Mario 64, which you said, right? Do you yep. see Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask? I feel like we don't need those on there, I feel like but you, don't you know need they're going to put them on there. I would but, rather they don't, but... I don't I, well, I guess we've only had 12 copies of it so far. I mean, it's even on 3DS. I know, yeah, they, but that's not going to stop. But Mario Kart 64 needs to be on there. I don't know if you said that one. I know you said Day Kong. Yeah, definitely um, Mario Kart. The one I would love to see that no one has probably ever thought about, Tetrisphere. Did you ever play Tetrisphere? Mm-hmm. Do you even know of Tetrisphere? Nintendo published it. Was that a no? Yeah, I said no. Oh, sorry, I didn't hear you. Um, so Tetrisphere, it's Tetris, but on a sphere. It's very much what its name says is, but basically it is a 3D Tetris game starring all these weird little robots, and how it works is you have these planetoid-looking things of Tetris blocks, and you are dropping bombs to blow up the blocks. It's like reverse Tetris, kind of. You're trying to get to the core of it. So the bombs you drop are, of course, different shapes of Tetris blocks, and you put them down and you do different things. If I remember it correctly, I might be remembering it wrong. It's been a long time, but basically think 3D Tetris with robots. And it's really fun. And it had a competitive mode that was really good where, obviously, like, junk pieces would fall into their plan and just sort of stack that way. Oh, wait, that's what it was. That's the bomb. Sorry, I got totally mixed up. It's been a long time since I've played it. You drop blocks in normal Tetris style, but and it's the first person... Um, whose core is exposed that loses and the junk pieces are the bombs so like if i'm playing you and you get a bunch of blocks you drop junk pieces on mine they blow up my tetris sphere and there goes some of my spots and then if the core is exposed it's game over for me so it's literally tetris mapped around a ball but it's really 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 fun it's one of my favorite n64 games so that i think would be cool on there it kind of in the same way that they always throw like one weird game on the super nintendo or nes classic like that'd be a good weird one Especially because there aren't really puzzle games on N64. I mean, I guess there was Puzzle League. But, Pokemon Puzzle League. Yeah. But not much else. So Tetris here would be good, I think. But yeah, that that uh, that uh was Nintendo showing at Comic-Con. Um, their booth was kind of insane this year. We alluded to this already, but they capped access to it multiple times. Like, normally you just walk in. You mean their ballroom? Yeah, not their booth. Their, their game, gaming lounge. They have two spots. They have a booth on the show floor where they have Mario Odyssey. It's like a miniature version of E3 without the fancy setup. Um, same wait time, it turns out. About an hour to play. Wow. And it was packed the whole weekend. But then in the Marriott next door, they take over a ballroom every year for the gaming lounge. And over there, usually you just walk in and you play. But this year, there is a line. And well, you walk in it. and the line that you Well, usually... you walk in and you wait to play. Yeah, the line that usually... The lines that were definitely a lot shorter inside than they were usually in other years. Only when we went on Thursday. They started speeding it up on Friday through Sunday. And then the lines were just as long inside, but you also had to wait outside. Oh, wow. It was really, it was really weird. Now, here, here's the thing. I, here's what I think is dumb about that. No offense, Nintendo. But when you have people standing in line watching, like, in the gaming lounge, they are watching games. They are seeing, maybe for the first time, ARMS or Splatoon 2 or Hey Pikmin or any of that. Or Mario Kart. If that's your first time seeing Mario Kart, though, I don't know. But either way, they're seeing games they are being marketed to they are experiencing things when you line them up in a hallway outside all they see are blank walls and they may leave out of boredom they may leave out boredom inside but they might have seen some arms before they left like you are missing half your marketing opportunity right there i mean right like that just seems like such a easy way I mean, to get people to see it, games it definitely made it easy knowing what to do on sunday like i remember by three or two you called me and you're like oh like 
Nintendo's closed. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, yep, they're just cut the line. It's over for the day. And yeah, like, oh, so so that's the right. bummers. As I guess any- one thing to worry about. Yeah, like that. that's kind of bummer, though, is like I mean, fuck, as but, yeah. someone who every year makes a gallery here on Ram Nintendo of Nintendo's booth at Comic-Con, like a photo gallery, I didn't get to get very many photos of their booth because there was always a line or it was capped. Like, they closed the booth. They were at capacity two hours before the end of Comic-Con, and they were not reopening it. And I'm like, well... All right, so I don't know if there's a gallery this year. There may be. I have enough photos of other stuff that I may still throw in together, but we're missing 80% Nintendo's booth. Once you're in there, there's some cool stuff. They had a, they had a remote control Hot Wheels, Nintendo Hot Wheels. They had Monopoly Gamer Edition like on display, which is this weird new Monopoly, along you know along with all the games they're doing. The figures look a lot nicer in person than they did online. The Monopoly ones? Yeah. Yeah, they do. You know what's kind of funny? So I was looking at that Monopoly display, like seriously looking at it, like, oh, this looks really cool. Like I wasn't just standing there. I was actually like looking at it. And a guy comes up from Nintendo with a baggie of those figures, individuals, like individual little bags of them or individual little wraps of them. And he's giving them out to people. Oh. And I'm standing there looking at Monopoly like, this looks really cool. And I look over and I see him with the bags. And he locks eyes with me and sees and then looks and sees them stand at Monopoly and then turns and walks away with one more of the items and then gives it to some kid as he's leaving the room. And I'm like, I why would I not get oh, swag? Why am I not deserving besides the fact I'm a 28-year-old man? But if you ignore that, well, you're shouldn't, old. shouldn't I get, the, shouldn't I get the, the, the thing? I was interested in your product. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. I just thought that's a funny moment. It was coincidentally the same man who refused to give us the Splatoon uh, wristbands. They're giving out glowing wristbands, you guys. Oh, that guy. They were giving out glowing Splatoon that wristbands, like the, the Splatfest wristbands, yeah, but, but you could like wear them in real life. And yeah, he was the worst, except well, not really, because he oh, yeah, wouldn't I'm, give it to there us. There was either miscommunication <laughs> or something, but yeah, I mean, he was just adamant what he was doing. And I mean, well, um, just, I mean, to give him like benefit of the doubt, I mean, at least this way, he doesn't get in trouble in case maybe he was right. But, yeah, so to explain what went wrong... But the wrong, logic just didn't make sense. To explain what went wrong here, Nintendo gives out a passport when you go to these lounges. And you play eight games, you get eight stamps, you go to a Nintendo like, swag kiosk, and they get a free thing. And on the passports were also little extra spots, like question mark blocks. Two and those were blocks. for two surprises. Woo. Um, one of the surprises turned out to be a Switch pin, which was nice. They just tell you post social media, get a Switch pin. The other one was... What was it supposed to be? The one you actually turn it in. Oh, yeah, and then when you turn in, they apparently are supposed to give you a wristband for that, the Splatoon wristband for that. Instead, when we turned in our passports to get our item for playing eight games, they were signing off on the other question mark blocks. So then when we went to get our wristbands, which, again, this is super petty, I know, because they're 99-cent wristbands no, but, made but, but, in but, China. Know. But when we went to get our wristbands, he's like, you're already marked, you already got your wristband. We're like, no, we didn't. We were just right there. If this is my biggest problem in life, I'm going to have a great life. But it was at the time, I was just kind of like, come on, like, do you know how much we promote your products to about a decent number of people that listen to they us every two weeks? They really don't. They do not. They don't know what they're missing by not giving us a glowing wristband that I will never actually wear in my life and that just that will just sit in my closet. They don't. But yeah, the line situation. Comic-Con, yeah. So, I mean, how was your Comic-Con overall? It was great. It was definitely one of the better ones. Very efficient. Got to do everything I wanted. Highlight? Got every collectible I wanted. Um, I don't know. A lot of highlights are pretty equal. So, I mean, I had a awesome opportunity to do a kind of a portfolio review situation. I got to meet um someone that I followed on YouTube and got to know for a couple of years mm-hmm. through Twitter, finally in person. And that person actually managed to grab me one of the rarest collectibles in Comic Con that they were only selling like thirty of a day, basically. So unless you were getting up like at four or three a.m., you were not getting one. 
and he happened to have an extra one so that was awesome mm-hmm. and he actually got it to me for free just because i got him a signature from the creator of the ninja turtles like an extra one i had gotten mine but i was able to get him an extra go one. back and get a second yeah yeah so it, it was also nice to do him a nice like a solid and but i mean yeah there's just a lot of cool stuff i mean an easy low light downside was just the rick and morty event but that was just because we, we came we, we came to expect an improv show and then a little mini screening and then a goodie bag and this year we just got the screen the screening one of the episodes which we saw on april fools because that's just what they did so we had 22 minutes of new content and we waited like over three hours in line you know that point about the line is actually my low light of con con is the line sucked this year and that's not even including the fact that like you heard about Hall H, right? So Hall H, right? Yeah. So Hall H, for those who don't know, is the big hall. That's where the big panels are. DC, Marvel, the you know the news making panel, Stranger Things, the news making panel, Game of Thrones, the news making panels all Walking Dead, uh, Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, uh, Kingsman, Thor um, Ragnarok. But, yeah, uh, Thor Ragnarok. But yeah, the, that Justice League, that 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 Aquaman, that uh, Wonder Woman two, that. Room is where all this goes down. I think we got almost everything. Oh, uh, uh, Brigsby Bear or whatever it's called, that Lonely Island produced movie. Anyway, you line up days for that. That People have done that forever. And they get wristbands to guarantee their spot in line, and then they go in. Someone counterfeited 700 wristbands and then walked around in an actual security shirt and passed out the wristbands. So 700 people didn't even get in. And then in the end, ConCon ended up giving those 700 people... um, for your four day passes for next year which is like the maximum number of days which is really cool of them but also means it's gonna be that much harder for us to get in but regardless the the hall h thing is a good example of the line situation people camp out for hall h normally just hall h comic-con this year people camped out for literally everything people were in line for 24 hours to see a conan taping possibly like standby tickets i got super lucky i'm a huge conan nerd i didn't get to win tickets this year i was not going to camp out I just have to go to the theater anyway, and AT and T of all people just handed me a ticket and a swag bag with Cohen's autograph, and then I was in, and it was great. Um, so yeah, you sometimes get to bypass the lines, but the thing about this con con where the lines were just so intense, they were so long. Like I waited three and a half hours for Netflix, I think maybe four hours for Netflix. I waited two and a half hours for Blade for uh, Blade Runner's VR experience. Like there's just a lot of waiting that you didn't used to have to do, and I think it's kind of Hall H just spilling over into everything else in that like people are just like oh well, if you're lined up for that I'll line up for this I mean you know it all paid off like Blade Runner was super cool it was like a VR thing mixed with the immersive world we're actually in Blade Runner's Neo Los Angeles and they have food and they had Jai Walker uh, Blue Label samples which is like a hundred dollars a bottle so that's you know it's not just like here's some whiskey it's like here's some nice whiskey um or relatively nice but yeah like there's it they try to make it as worthwhile as possible or like Netflix ended up meeting some of the cast of Stranger Things. Like they did a photo op with me and me and our friends. We were the only two people at Comic-Con that got that experience. It's a surprise thing. It's like, you know, it, it does pay off, but the lines were bad. And I think, I, I actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, I don't think it's just the Hall H spillover. I think some of it's the focus on VR. Like I think VR honestly is to blame for some of the lines because all these different like brand activations as they're known, um, or where VR shines to begin with. And since VR is a longer experience, we have to sit there and kind of put on the goggles and do a five or 10 minute thing. That means the lines are longer because they can let fewer people through at once. And because the lines are longer, companies then feel more obligated to give you more out of it than just the VR. 
So then you have these physical immersion things that come after it. And then there's food and then there's activities. It's not just what it was when we started at Comic-Con. It was like quick little exhibits. You know, like here's all the Batmobiles. Here's a zip line for Gotham. That's all kind of pushed to the side now. Now it's like, oh, you're going to fly a ship in Blade Runner. That ship's going to crash. You take off your goggles and we've transported you into the actual city of Neo Los Angeles where you get a walk around and actors will come up to you and hit on you. Like literally, they had fake prostitutes. Um, and there'll be policemen that will literally arrest you if you're a replicant and then arresting you ends up getting you a signed poster, but they actually push you against the wall and everything. Like it was, it was elaborate. And I think Comic-Con's going in that direction. Like we've talked about it on the show here before. Comic-Con's like this awesome place where all pop culture kind of merges. Whatever you're into, whatever your nerdiness is about, you're going to find it at Comic-Con in some form. Like that's why, like, cause you know, you and I have very different interests beyond like video games. Like I, you're super into like TMNT and different collectibles and me i'm more like live action shows and not as much about collectibles except amiibo right like i mean you're really tight cartoon you're going to animate you're doing cartoons but we both have four full days of activities to do so it's cool in that regard but yeah um i think generally speaking con con's gonna move more towards these sort of immersive things because really that's that's the way the world is moving like companies are now trying to get fans into these worlds in more like intimate ways that really reward them for their fandom and ultimately means getting more money out of them i mean if you just look at what disney's doing with star wars land or the star wars hotel in florida or sorry not star wars Land, star wars galaxy's edge or the um or the hotel in florida like they are it's not like you just go on a ride and you're done and they go eat some some burgers it's like the entire thing is set up like Star Wars and how you do on the ride will affect how the guy serving you at the cantina, whatever weird Star Warsian burger they come up with, how he interacts with you will be based on how you did in the ride 10 minutes ago. Like, it's this whole thing. Like, the Star Wars Hotel, have you heard about the Star Wars Hotel? It's so bizarre. Or not bizarre, but it's so, like, crazy. They dress you in Star Wars garb, they put you in the hotel, and then it's like you're on a spaceship for two days. For $1,000 a night. Oh, Everyone God. acts like it. Everyone acts like you're part of it. So it's like Renaissance Fair. But... It's like a Renaissance Fair, but it's Star Wars, and you're paying a thousand dollars a night for it. It's sci-fi and... Renaissance Fair. Exactly, but like this sort of thing is becoming more and more common. And I think Comic Con, what we're getting is like a little slice of that with um, what we're seeing at the event now. You know, things like Net the Net- the Stranger Things experience with Netflix. Like you can actually go into one of the, the how without spoiling the show for anyone who hasn't watched it. The Christmas lights and the writing on the wall. They recreated that fully with a whole living room, and you can go in it. Or like uh, The Gifted, the new X-Men show on Fox, they do they actually did DNA tests. Like they will swab you, do a DNA test, send you the results about your DNA, and also kind of jokingly be like, oh, you're a mutant or you're not. So like they're doing these way more elaborate things, and it means longer lines, which sucks for old hat Comic-Con folk like us who are jaded and know what to expect. But still, it's really, really cool. And I think it overall means a better experience. So that's my that's my two cents on Comic-Con this year, at least. But... I will say there's one company and one company alone we can thank for all this immersive stuff. Universal Studios. Harry Potter World was kind of the start of all this. Like, Harry Potter World's way more immersive than, you know, that's why Star Wars is what it is now. That's why Nintendo World will be what it will be. It was Universal who started it. So, if you want to take it out on someone, I'd recommend driving up to um, Universal Studios here in LA and yelling at them. Yawn at them? Yelling at them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> But I, I will say, actually, speaking of Universal, um, I, I am really curious to see what they do with Nintendo World in terms of immersion. Because right now they've only talked about we're going to have rides, we're going to have shops, we're going to have, you know, um, Your typical restaurants. 
but I, it sounds like they may be going bigger. I mean, I've heard from a sort, like legitimately, this is a legit thing, Universal's poaching Disney Imagineers specifically for Nintendo World. So they're doing more than just rides with screens because they already have the, the ability to do that. So there's probably going to be more physical elements. I'm really curious what that turns into. But yeah, I think Universal is the the root cause of all this new immersive stuff that's happening, which is really a great thing. Like, I this was one of the best years of Comic-Con, like, off-site events. The convention was fine, too. <laughs> but, like, the off-site really blew me away. And and I think, honestly, that's where VR is going. I, I've said on the show before, I'll say again, I don't see VR ever becoming a mass-market product where everyone has it in their home. Like, at least not his current headset form. If I mean, if you aren't going to put on 3D glasses to watch a 3D TV, you aren't going to put yourself in a helmet for three hours a night. Just not going to happen. So I think... VR contacts. Yeah, so I think VR... Well, see, something like that. Well, even if you have to put them in every day. I nope, know. not going to happen. But if if but where VR can shine really well is in, like, Comic-Con, where, you know, we... For Blade Runner, they put us in those uh, Dolby, like, D chairs or whatever, the ones that move and rumble... And it really was like you're on a ship because it was like swooping and soaring as you're flying around VR. Like that sort of stuff is going to do really well. Theme parks around VR, or like arcades around VR, like they're doing in Japan, Bandai Namco. They're doing like the VR zone or whatever. Like that's going to do well. It's a destination thing. It's a thing you go to. It's not a thing that comes to you. It's not a thing in your home. At least that's my view. But I mean, we'll see. I mean, you have a PlayStation VR sitting right here. That's Elvis's, your brother's. Like how often do you use, you guys use that these days? Uh, he said he does it regularly. Was he was he play VR or does he just use the screen mode so he can have a bigger view of whatever else he's playing? Because they have the fake like movie screen set. Oh yeah, yeah, I don't know both. I guess. Hmm. I mean, lately he looks like he's just been like looking for just more VR games to get. There's a few that he's like looking forward to. Super hot, which may be coming to Switch. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, that's kind of piece of PlayStation oh, VR. Thanks for Oh yeah, I hear the inklings in the background. <laughs> yeah, but um. Yeah, because there's, there's, of course, going to be some people that are going to be super passionate about VR and have it in their home. But I'm just, like, mass market, I don't. It's going to be you go to VR, be it at Comic-Con or the Bandai Namco thing in Japan. You're going to it. And in the case of Bandai Namco, actually, one thing I would have loved to see at Comic-Con that just isn't there or wasn't there because it's only in Japan, Mario Kart VR. How cool does that look? It looks pretty awesome. It's I mean, it's a very, very scaled-down Mario Kart experience. There's no race strengths. There's no time placements. There's no. It's just a ride. It's yeah, a there's Mario literally Kart. no ability to stray too far from the pack. But, dude, it sounds nuts. Like, the amount of work they put into this thing. Like, you, you're wearing a HTC Vive for a first-person view in a cart. You have motion sensors strapped to each hand. Your left hands accelerate, your right hands brake. But you need to physically grab items in the air with your hand. From balloons. From balloons. And then you throw them like in real life, and it could be a shell or a banana or a hammer, and you do the motions anywhere, any direction you want, and it'll throw in real time in that direction in the game. Yeah, I definitely can't wait to try that. It's yeah, I'm super jealous that you get to try it. When when are you going again? Uh, December. Yeah, December. Yeah, so you got to report back on that, but it sounds so cool. I mean, it's 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 your your point about being a ride is spot on. It is very limited. I mean, you can only race as Mario, Mario, Luigi, um, Yoshi, or Peach. There's only one track. The track is ripped out of Mario Kart Arcade GP Deluxe. Yeah, but they it, have it, made and, it more thrilling. No, yeah, I mean, of all the tracks they picked, I mean, at least they made it so the track transitions through different types of scenery. Yeah. So you're not just seeing... You go underwater, me- there's metals, Yeah, you're seeing Bowser's Castle, you're in the sky, you're, like, all over the place. And they throw a whole bunch of enemies in it, too. So, like, there are swamps you dodge, oh, piranha the pro- plants yeah, that the snap at you. Yeah, the piranha plants are crazy, yeah. There's the bob moment. Like, there's... It's... 
it's nuts. Like I'm extremely jealous that you get to try it. And I would have loved for it to be at Comic Con. What maybe one year. But Yeah, maybe next year. Huh? It's also interesting that like, hey, check it out, Nintendo's doing VR in the way that actually I think makes the most sense. Because, you know, Nintendo's like, oh, we're looking at VR. Blah, blah, blah. Like, and everyone's like, oh, you can make headsets. This was, you know, back in the VR hype you last could totally year. do this for Star Fox. Oh, dude, that'd be cool. Or even an F-Zero. Yeah, F-Zero would be great in this. F-Zero would be nauseating in this. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, it's just like, it's. I think this is the route Nintendo's going to go with VR. And it, like I was saying, this is the route that makes sense to me. Like, I don't foresee a future where in helmet form vr ever is something that everyone has mm. like video games like you know on your smartphone your mom can play candy crush your mom's not gonna be like let me just strap into my vr headset to have colorful candy fall all around me like no that's yeah, not like, oh, after my phone oh, pause the game take out the what helmet. if you want to have a snack what if you want to text what if you want like none of this works what if you live with someone else and they come in? what if you're living with like well, your wife or girlfriend i mean if you have a system figured out so text actually HTC Vive does have a system figured out they can show it in the screen but I don't know how you respond I guess by voice but what if you have a like a significant other in your home and they come into the room because they need you to help with something and you don't hear them or see them because you're in a helmet how long before the divorce happens I'm just saying like it's not an easy it's not an easy thing to have like integrated into day to day life so but but beyond VR one cool thing about Con-Con that I kind of already, ta- already touched on was it really is like this coming together of all types of pop culture and all types of nerddom, be it games as we've discussed. And or, comic books. Or comic books or just books or Comic-Con. movies or TV or whatever. And this year in particular, at least in my opinion, it kind of felt like that was even more so, like things coming together because there's this growing trend in video games of games not just being games. They're branching out into other mediums and not sucking at doing it. Uh, I think the best example is probably as of late, this is pre-Comic-Con, but Castlevania on Netflix. To be completely upfront, I've not seen it yet, but I've heard a lot of positive buzz as in 91% on Rotten Tomatoes for a game-based anything, that's kind of unheard of. Like, that's a pleasant surprise. Castlevania, uh, it's the best thing Konami has done. Yes, it lately, really considering is. Considering everything it, they've done Yeah, lately. considering they now just make pachinko machines and, and Bomberman on Switch and nothing else, um, and Yu-Gi-Oh!, but yeah, it it's doing really well. And then separate from that, all, this is was at Comic Con was the news that Sonic the Hedgehog, which has been doing a comic series with Archie for what ever, ever seventeen years, twenty years, something like that. They just jumped over to IDW, which means a significant shift in the type of comic is going to be most likely. Which you read IDW now? That I think about it. you read the Ninja Turtle series, right? You're yeah, like really into that. Officially right? now, the longest running Ninja Turtle comic book series of all time so what what do you think this means for sonic comics then like what what's idw's like strength that sega was drawn to literally like i don't know after 20 years it's too pronged like i do love the ninja turtle theory that's actually my best right now it's my best form my best iteration of ninja turtles period Mm -hmm. i mean it also has the creator as one of their head writers and artists but um the thing about idw that they're very indie friendly and they're very um like they take a lot of risks. They're also, like, up for crossovers. Like, I mean, Ninja Turtles has had a crossover with Batman. Ninja Turtles had a crossover with Ghostbusters. Right. Like... Oh, that's them doing that? Yeah. Like, DC also does that, right? No, yeah, no, yeah. DC was also going crazy. They had, like, Did Batman they? and Looney Tunes. They had... Yeah. Like, they had a weirder one. I can't remember what it was, but it and was... And then, like, IDW right now is going through, like, um, Transformers and G.I. Joe, Transformers and Revolt. That one actually makes sense. Oh, G.I. Yeah. Joe and Transformers, because they're the same era. Which is also IDW. But also like, Hasbro. Both pretty Hasbro. much like anything that they have under their umbrella, they're probably going to do. Like, Which now makes me feel like, huh, I wouldn't be surprised to do a Ninja Turtles and Sonic at some point. 
So, but the thing about um IDW though, at least with the Ninja Turtles and with some other issues I've seen, is that um they like to let a lot of artists um I guess just experiment with the interpret art. it in their own ways. So yeah, so like let's say like twenty issues of Ninja Turtles are the same artist, and then the next four issues are like a different artist, and the next oh, four issues are like a different artist, and the next four issues are like a different artist. Sure. So it just bounces out a lot, and I personally don't really like that. I do like that they're letting people get more exposure. You get to see the different art styles. Mm-hmm. But some artists draw the characters so differently, sometimes even going down to just, like, their hairstyle and everything, that they almost look like different people. And, I don't know, I guess I just want some sort of consistency. Right. But not to mention that just personal taste. I Sometimes I hate how some of the turtles look. Sometimes I hate how the people look. Or, I don't know, there's a few artists that I really love. But, yeah, as far as um, Sonic goes, I hope it doesn't go that route. Hopefully, they could have just a consistent art style. But, I don't know, seeing IDW's track record, it's definitely in good hands. So, yeah, because Archie... So, so, so it's definitely going to be more for a slightly older audience. That's I what I was about to say, because Archie, like, that's more kid-friendly. I mean, granted, they literally have Archie die at one point in the Archie comics. So that's a little dark. But for the most part, it is pretty kid-friendly, and Sonic Actually, always was, right? I take that back. I just realized that IDW also has the rights to all the Disney comics. A lot of the, which is so Sonic Mickey, which is kind of weird because um, they own Goofy. Marvel. I don't know why they don't just have Marvel make their comics, but um, like Disney right well, now. Well, the contract probably predates. I know, yeah. So it's probably like a studio, like the it's like Fox the Fox, thing. yeah, the Fox. Yeah, because like, yeah, they're because they're doing the Ducktales comic. They're doing a like a long running Donald comic, a Mickey comic, a bunch of comics from Disney. So, I mean, I guess they could also be kid friendly. So. It could literally be anything. They could have two like comics from of Sonic running at the same time. They could have the Kitty Sonic. Huh, Sonic then, running. I get it. <laughs> they could also have like I'm sure they'll have like a Sonic Boom series going on at oh, the same totally. time as like Sonic Proper and whatever. Sonic Boom is such a fascinating thing to me. Like the games bombed. Mm-hmm. But the cartoon's doing really well. Oh, I love that like, show. how did they not transition those cartoon viewers into people buying the game? That show is great. It's definitely it's my very fa- meta. It really is a self-aware about is the it, Sonic fandom. Yeah, it's definitely my favorite Sonic TV show to date. And I don't know if that's not saying much, but I mean, it is a great show overall. Like, it's definitely like I just love that show overall. Like, just as a show, given its own merits. My jam was Sonic Underground. No pun intended. Back back when that was still on. Throw that necklace on Sonic and you're in for a good show. Yeah, I mean, That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed that show back then, but I mean, if you watch a show now, yeah, it's definitely great. Yeah. But, but yeah, it, it, it's interesting that like, so Sonic sounds like it's going to be on the up and up. Not like the Archie one is necessarily bad, but oh, yeah. it's going to be on the up and up. Castlevania is doing really well. It all kind of makes me wonder like, what is it about game adaptations now in 2017 that's suddenly making it seem, it suddenly seems they're like they're getting it right. Movies. But see, even then, like, Maybe. I mean, that might be it. It might be if they're not being forced into, like, the movie structure. Because, I mean, Assassin's Creed was the last one that came out, and that wasn't... Well, because, I mean, gaming... It takes, like, on average, like, 20 to 40 hours to beat a game, depending on the genre. So making a movie out of them, especially if they're just, like, making one movie, typically isn't going to end well. Because you're going to have to scrap a lot of the exposition that you usually get in games spread out over the course of a few hours. That's true. So comics is definitely an excellent way to just kind of let you get to know characters. As is an endless Netflix series. Yeah, yeah as TV shows. And yet somehow um, A1 Studios managed to mess up the Ace Attorney anime. I don't the know. The localized one? Wait, no. 
I don't. I don't think it's been yeah, localized yet. It. <laughs> but it's like twelve episodes for like the first game, twelve episodes for like the second game, and they didn't make the third game. But I don't know. I guess they. Need, I don't know if they were told like you only have twelve episodes to make an anime out of the first game, and that's what what they had to work with. But they had to cut so many corners that. I mean, it's a murder mystery, so every single detail has to be like has to line up. Yeah. It has to line up, and it has to be told pretty much expertly for you to be like surprised you're on the just so everything could flow nicely but a lot of corners were taken a lot of characters that didn't know info certain info in the game and the tv show all of a sudden i mean in the anime all of a sudden go like oh by the way also this so now you don't have to like, uh-huh. go to the hospital and figure out this other you stuff you know what's dumb about this? like it, it really I, I made myself watch it all the way through just out of like i felt obligated and i loved how it looked at points but it was just disappointing the the manga though of Ice Attorney did not even try to adapt the games. It just made up its own stories, and that was great. It was perfect. It was exactly what I wanted it to be. But here's yeah. the thing I don't get about the anime: you literally have the entire story laid out. You have the you. script practically. Ace Attorney is barely a game in the traditional sense. It is a interactive novel. So, like, how on earth do you screw that up? Like, I think what you're saying about them doing their own story in the manga that makes a lot more. I wish uh, they that had makes just, a lot more sense. I wish they had just done that because then they didn't have to. Pretty much explained. I mean, they had to make up another backstory, but I'm thinking they were given the the deadline of how many episodes they had to do, so they had to squeeze the stuff in. But I think a lot of this yeah, is also passion project. Like my gut tells me, you could tell too, beyond yeah. just you know the fact that if you have more time in a, you have more time in a cartoon or in a comic than you do in a movie. My gut tells me that we are at a point where video games themselves have matured as a medium. People that grew up with them are now in power positions where they can approve these things based on passion project, not like, you know, we're no longer at a point where it's like as much a movie executive being like, oh, I heard that Laura Croft is hot right now. Let's make a movie about her. Like, he probably hasn't played a game since Pac-Man. But now we're at a point where um, you actually have people that are passionate about the things. Like the Castlevania, for example. Um, The producer of that, series on netflix a guy named addy shanker he has done a i think it's shanker s-h-a-n-k-a-r shanker shankar shankar anyway he was doing an interview with the verge and he was saying that he's been working one way or another on getting this thing to be made since 2007 that's 10 years originally it was gonna be a dvd animated movie then it turned into a live action thing then that got scrapped and he persisted through and through because it was a passion project and now we have a really good quality thing out of it. He was a guy that was inspired by a game and had a vision of what he wanted to do with it. Versus, say, even Ubisoft. He gave the Assassin's Creed example. Ubisoft went on record a few years ago like, yeah, we're going to open a movie studio and we're going to turn our games into movies. That's like a corporate decision. That's like Marvel saying we're going to make our comic books into movies. Difference was Marvel knew what they were doing. But um, it's just like you could see the difference between like it's a big money thing versus it's a passion project. And what's nice now, even with I think the IDW thing, is I don't think Sega's like, oh, there's more money over here, because obviously for 17 years, it was or however many years, they were doing fine. They were doing something right. It's more like maybe they presented a pitch or an idea of someone who truly had something interesting to do with Sonic, where it wasn't just like, well, let's adapt. And I think Sonic, even at Archie, did some pretty weird stuff. Like, they had some weird storylines. They did have the Sonic-Mega Man crossover. Yeah, they had the crossover with Mega Man. Like, they did stuff. Like, there were people that were interested in it. So... I'm hoping this is a sign that we're going more in that direction in general. I mean, obviously not every movie or TV show or comic or book based on game is going to get this treatment. I mean, the fact that the directors of Catfish, of all things, are making a Mega Man movie 
potentially could be a problem. I mean, for all we know, they're huge um, fans of the game, but I'm going to guess they're not. Uh, no offense if you are out there, catfish guys, and you're listening to us. Um, similarly, they're making an anime Galaga show. I don't know why. Like, that's the most limited game I could think of. So it's probably going to be something totally different, kind of like, like the Mario the movie. Anime. Yeah, or it's like, well, even the F-Zero one, like... No, 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 you no, could no. tell. I get what you no, mean. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they didn't have a lot to work, but they, they made, made it. Yeah, they made they made up their own story. They made up a new main character, which ended up working. Yeah, but like Galga reminds me of like the Pixels movie, where it's gonna be like, oh, they're invading, ah, mm. Galga, <laughs> the end. But yeah, I don't know. It's just like I think the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, yeah, when it's gonna be the Mario movie. Made. Yeah, where they, 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 they we just have this to work with. Oh. And and here's the thing. Here's the thing to the passion project point. If someone came up to whatever company's producing the Galga show and was just like. I had this brilliant idea. It's loosely based on Galga, but it really inspired me to do X, Y, Z. And it turned out to be great. That's awesome. But I don't I don't know. Maybe it will, because that's my whole point. It's like I think we're, as the gamer generation goes older, as we're getting more mature and moving into these industries where we can do these things and coming of that age, we're going to start seeing a lot more Castlevanias, a lot more potentially good Sonic at IDW yeah. or whatever and you, it may and you be. definitely see it. I mean, um, like not even just TV shows and movies, but even just like, action figures like a lot of the the video game toys like they're made by the NECA stuff oh yeah like uh like the video game toys and NECA toys like they're all being designed by people that grew up with these properties so like the accessories they come with like literally this year at comic-con they NECA released a a set of Ninja Turtle toys that are true to how they looked in the classic tv show from when we were kids like they they're pretty much like so screen accurate we've never had that before that accurate playmates the company that holds the license for ever like tried and they weren't even like that great looking after like looking yeah. back and they even made like a shredder like this is the first time we've ever gotten a shredder toy from that line and it's crazy because it's been i don't know how many years like over 20 years and it's because they don't they're not even legally allowed to sell them outside the convention center like that was literally a passion project for them like they wanted, they right, they right. really love the turtle. Part. I mean, just look at all the other Ninja Turtle toys they're making. The but. general, a lot of uh, the older generations like to say that our generation as a whole were like demature, like uh, we're dematuring America, and we totally <laughs> are. But that's because like everything we grew up with, we still hold dear to us. That's hilarious because um, look at Pixar. Actually, it's animations were not I for mean, adults. Now they are. To just look at the sideshow booth. Like, oh, at uh, at Comic Con, yeah. yeah. Comic-Con. It's yeah. like you're just walking around you're like, whoa, these statues look amazing. Look at that Megatron. Look at that. They had like a life blah, blah, blah. size. Uh, uh, what's his name? K two SO from Rogue One. They had, a life, they had a life of Alan Tudyk. As I said, Alan Thick. I'm like, why would Alan <laughs> Thick be there? Man, I sure love growing pains as a kid. Let me just sculpt a life size. <laughs> no, Alan but Thicke. like, as I'm walking around there with my friends, they're like, oh man, I want that one. I want that one. But you look at their prices, and they're like, some of them are in the thousands. They're not for kids. Yeah, it's like this is literally meant for someone that has like a nice, like maybe even mansion for some yeah. of these pieces, and. I can just imagine, like, back in the day, you would never expect to walk into someone's house and have, like, a giant, like, Deadpool statue of him, like, roundhouse kicking someone's head off. Right. Or, yeah, it's just the world we live yeah, in. Yeah, it's, it's it's just interesting that, like... Like, that's going to become, like, that's a new status symbol. It's like, oh, Yeah, well, I, I mean, think back to, like, when movies first start or when TV was first becoming a thing. You know, kids were watching, like, I don't know, uh, Dennis the Menace and... Like that sort of show, and now that is that's so low quality. Mm-hmm. Now we have like we're in prime TV, we're like peak TV right now. You know, the Game of Thrones and the Breaking Bads and the Walking Dead. It's crazy. And the, a lot of the TV shows have like the Mr. production Robot. values of like movies. movies. Yeah. 
No, it's it's not like it's because people grow into that. Yeah. So TV obviously was more our. I think our parents' generation was the one that really made TV what it is now. Yeah, the only but medium that video still, games that's yeah. all us. The only medium that still has that clear distinction, I feel, between like movie budget and TV budget, or just an, any animated show, CG or two D. Otherwise, like you can definitely. Yeah. I guess it hasn't gone that year. It's still too expensive to make cartoons. But give it time. Yeah. Well, now that flash animation is getting so much more popular. No, but even then, like flash animation, like mm, true, like it can it only looks so good. True. I mean, for. But that's the thing, I, which I do appreciate. Like when you're watching a movie, like you get either really nice traditionally animated movies, or you get really high production like CG beauties. Or I guess on the other side, you know, I guess you get something like South Park, where that's like the whole point of it, Is and, and it works. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they just embrace the style. But I mean, but yeah. again, it's cause to kind of bring this full circle passion project. Yeah. If you're into what you're into, regardless of the source material, regardless of how it looks, you'll make a great thing. And that that honestly, this is like a nice little full circle on Comic Con as a whole. As we wrap up the Comic Con part of our show, so it's just mean, like um, the reason Comic Con is, is is as big as it is is because all this us growing into this. They're stuff. saying if it's a if it's a passion project, it will become a great thing. No, if it's a passion project and you're good at what you do, it will become a great thing. But you can't. But they weren't getting with this, going with this. No. Oh, are you saying our podcast isn't good? No, <laughs> it's a passion project. <laughs> um. Um. Well, no, because I guess you saying that right now made me realize, huh, I guess that means one of those pieces wasn't clicking with Niantic? Because, I mean, it, was it a passion project? Was Niantic totally was. I mean, was someone just not good at what they were doing? Like, why? I mean, because apparently people were... Pokemon guess, Go Fest? Yeah, Pokemon Go Fest and a, a few other networks were saying, like, oh, don't blame us for the lack of the okay, game. Okay, so working. Pokemon Go Fest. Let's... That's... I there's a mix. You have to have a passion pro. You can have a passion project, but you have to have the people around you that can make that thing a reality. And in the case of like something like Castlevania, that means just having a good animation staff and good story writers. But you're driving the vision. Pokemon Go, the vision is totally there. The vision was there from day one, from day like negative two hundred. It was we are going to make a, a game where you can connect with people in the real world and befriend people in the real world. And the perfect vehicle to do that is Pokemon. So let's team up with Pokemon and make it happen. And it did happen. It was huge. It was great. But you need to have the right infrastructure, and right in the in the case of Pokemon, all that to make it happen. And with Pokemon Go Fest, they did not. Like it was, like Comic Con was the the good thing that happened this past weekend. You just moved my whole table. And um, if anyone heard a screech or a scratch, that was my whole table moving. If uh, Comic Con was the peak of like good weekend event. Pokemon Go Fest was the fire festival of the gaming world, you could say. Like, okay, it maybe wasn't that bad. Like, people still had food and shelter, but nonetheless, <laughs> no was, one died. No one died. No one died at Firefest either, for the record. But but Ja Rule's career certainly died. Um, but nonetheless, it was Pokemon Fest was pretty bad. Like, when you gather a sold out crowd of people into one place to play an online smartphone game, you kind of need the game to work. And at Pokemon Go Fest, it just didn't work. People couldn't log on. Nothing was loading. Niantic servers crashed. It just wasn't good. Like, it was bad enough to the point that... You're actually the one that told me about this Comic-Con. I had no idea this was happening because I was in the Comic-Con bubble. But you were telling me that, like, they were on like booing people on stage yeah, and chanting, like, booing. fix this game. Yeah, they were chanting. And that was, I think, when the CEO was on stage specifically. So. Yeah. But by the end of the day, like, Niantic ended up uh, promising refunds to everyone for $20 wristbands. That's 20,000 people, by the way. 
and they gave $100 in free in-game items to everyone. They gave everyone a Lugia now that they've rolled out Legendaries. And the thing is, like, I do kind of get it. Like, Niantic's been battling these server issues since day one and putting that many people in one place, all on their cell phones, all trying to connect to the same servers via the same wireless connections from the same providers is going to be tricky no matter what. But, like, come on, Niantic. You've got to be absolutely 1,000% certain you can handle this before doing anything like this. Like, you can't – there's no room for error or something like this or else this happens. I mean because you are saying that they're blaming the wireless carriers, right? And apparently at one point they did request that all wireless carriers bring in extra sell-on-wheel equipment. Those are like the temporary towers they can roll in. So instead of everyone connecting to one tower per provider, there's like a dozen towers per provider, which you know spreads out the load. Um, apparently Verizon didn't want to do it. And apparently only Sprint was – I guess Sprint was the only one that did do it. But Verizon has since come out and said on record that it wasn't them that caused the problem. It wasn't a network issue because other apps in the area being tested by their engineers, including YouTube, all loaded just fine during Pokemon Go Fest. They say it was server-side. They specifically are blaming Niantic for this. And Niantic, meanwhile, is like, no, no, no. It was the connection point through the cell tower. That was the problem. We were fine. But again, if you're the ones organizing it, you got to make sure this is all squared away. If Verizon says, no, we're not going to bring in a cell on wheels, you better figure out a way to minimize your data load or something. Like, I don't know. It's just Verizon said they would be fine. They were fine. It, it falls on Niantic, I feel like. But regardless of who is, who is to blame, it's really not a good look for Pokemon Go or for Niantic. Or for Pokemon in general. Like, I can't imagine the Pokemon company or Nintendo or anyone being pleased with something that went so wrong so fast. Like, the way Niantic was positioning this event, at least in my mind, it was clearly supposed to be kind of like a coming out party for, like, the, the unofficial, like, 2.0 of Pokemon Go. Like, the trailer they put out that morning. It oh, featured, the trailer? They put out a two-and-a-half-minute trailer. Oh, wow. It featured all the new features we talked about on this, on this show in the last few months. You know, raid battles, um new team stuff, the ability to feed, po- like everything that was like slowly rolled out is now with package into two minute video. Like look what's new in Pokemon go. Come revisit Pokemon go. It's better than ever. And then they capped it all with legendaries, the introduction of legendaries. They can catch in raid battles and assuming it went off without a hitch, like if Pokemon go fest worked, it could have definitely led to a bump in engagement with Pokemon from not just lapsed players, but you know, new folk who maybe are hearing, Oh, Pokemon, go, you know, they see on CNN or something. Cause it's that big of a game. They see on CNN's website, Pokemon Go has all these new features. Like, oh, this actually sounds more engaging than the thing a year ago I didn't care about. They could have had that. Instead, all they had were stories about how bad it went. <laughs> like, they have the rollout of Legendaries, and it is appealing, but now the only people that know about it are the people who already follow the game in some capacity, who have, like, people that listen to this show, or happen to scroll past it on Go Nintendo, like I think was probably how you found out about it since you don't play, right? Twitter or Twitter, but yeah, but we're that's because we're like hooked into that like world of Nintendo news. But there was no push to get in the mainstream because all the mainstream reported on was Pokemon Go Fest was a disaster, or here's why it's good you didn't go, or that sort of thing. So they say this is the first of many Go Fests. Uh, hopefully, they learn from this mistake and improve it in the future. But yeah, it was not good. And I mean, the introduction of legendaries is a cool addition. It's just like it was buried in the chaos of all this, which is kind of a bummer. So that that's. Pokemon Go Fest. We may have had crazy lines at, at Comic-Con, but at least we like got to do the things we were supposed to do at Comic-Con. It's not like we showed up and then they're like, oh, nothing works, go home. 
and by and granted by the end of the day some of the go fest was working but yeah it, it was pretty bad that's just one of two disasters of late though the other one what is a little more universal for anyone that owns a switch and that is the switch online app oh so to recap for those who may not know you may recall us complaining about this last episode there's you know you essentially have to use two devices at all times since the switch itself can't do voice chat you have to use this app so you have to have your phone and your switch and yada yada but now the switch app is available and while it has a very nice ui that i really enjoy uh i for one and i think you probably agree as does probably most of the internet i for one don't like the implementation of the voice chat whatsoever because instead of just working like skype or facebook messenger or any other voice over ip app where it can run in the background while yeah. you use your phone where you can just invite anybody on your friends list whether they're playing the same game or not yeah but instead of doing any of that in its current form it's very limited like if you want to just just do voice chat never mind the invite thing we'll get to that that's a whole second thing but if you just want to do voice chat you need to always have the app open and always have your screen on you know that big rectangle that eats up the vast majority of your majority of your battery that needs to constantly be on while you're voice chatting. You can't lock the screen and have it do it like any other voice over IP app. If you have to answer a text, you will be disconnected from the chat and only reconnected when you jump back to the app. It makes no sense at all. And like we won't be diving deep into Splatoon 2 impressions until next episode, but Angel, you have been messing with the app, playing Splatoon, whatnot. I haven't had a chance because I've been playing this together, but you've been doing all that. So you've sat down with the app. You know all its pros and cons, mostly cons. What what's the deal? I actually don't know fully. Like, walk me through it. How's this? How's it work? Mm, I don't know. There really isn't much to say yet, just because all the features aren't up yet. But I mean, from what is there, it's just really annoying that everything has to be triggered from within the game. Wait, like, so you have an app, but it's separate from what's in the game? What? Is it you have the app, but like in order to fire the app doesn't? The I app... mean, not separate, tied to what's in the game. So like, if, if you're sorry, you explain. I'll okay. Jump in. <laughs> so. Sure, like, um, once you play some of some turf battles in Splatoon... Actually, I'm just going to ignore the Splatoon part of it. Like, the... Because on the bottom, like, it says, like, oh, compatible games. Splatoon. <laughs> yeah, Splatoon. That's yeah. it. So... Which is its own issue. So, right? from the app itself, you can't do anything whatsoever until you have the game running in front of you. You have to go to... I guess... I guess you have to go back to Splatoon. So, you go to Splatoon, <laughs> you go to online, you go to... Um, you have to go to lobby mode. So, yeah, you said go to lobby. Yeah, lobby mode. Lobby mode specifically is just referring to playing with friends on your friends list using the app. So, as soon as you click on lobby mode and then you select start a lobby, then it'll actually work on your phone. It'll it'll tell you on the screen connecting to the app or whatever. And then now that you're in there, now that you have a lobby, your phone will automatically, I guess, go to the lobby screen. And now you're just on that lobby screen. And I guess from there you get to invite your friends from any form you want, whether it's text. So the game says, cool, you're here now. Now go over there to your other device and do the thing I could have done right here on the screen. Yeah, basically. Nintendo. It's an unnecessary step. It's just, it feels overcomplicated. It is convoluted. Very convoluted. Um... I haven't been able to test it out with anybody yet, but I have been able to just send invites specifically to you. Just to, I saw to those, and I couldn't do anything because I have yet to play Splatoon 2. I'm sorry, Nintendo. Don't hurt me. I know it's been out for five four, five days by the time this goes up, but I'm sorry. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I... I mean, other than that, I mean, I, yeah, I guess just sending invites and creating lobbies to chat with people, it's just very... 
it's not as smooth as it could be. It's it's kind of confusing at first. I wish it should. I don't know. It should just work. I've never had any. I've never had to quote unquote figure out Online. how to how to send messages or anything. I just kind of works the way I expect it to. Even like when I got my PS3 for the first time, and I never really messed with like sending messages to friends, creating lobbies or anything. Like I just kind of assume like, all right, I just go here. I click on my little friends icon. Okay, I go to my friend. Oh, mm-hmm. look, I have the option to send a message, invite them over. If I'm if I'm inside the game I'm playing and I want to invite them, it has the option to send them the me- to send them the invite, or I could just chat with them. Like that's it. But with this one, it's like, okay, where do I have to go? Okay, I go here. Oh, I have to go to the app now. Okay, now how, how do I? How did we get here? <laughs> like it's just so convoluted, and the part that kind of. And I guess it's what kind of sucks now that, uh, I don't know, I guess you still have to use some other form of communication to, I guess, get to your friend. Like, oh, if, yeah, if, sched- like if you, know, you can't if, even schedule in advance yeah, like they promised. Yeah, at least not yet. But, um, like, if I know that my friend is free, they're just maybe doing something else, I still have to, like, contact them in some other way or if they're playing some Like, if I see that they're playing another game, I, yeah, like, I don't know. I won't be able to send them an invite unless they're actually playing Splatoon or I'll have to send it to their phone. That's which, another dumb which thing. Which just kind of defeats the purpose of, like, just having the overlay. Like, I mean, it didn't matter what game you were playing on the Xbox or the PlayStation. You could send them an invite to join your game regardless of the game they're playing. Now, like, that's it, another stupid thing is this is supposed to be a universal Switch Online app, and yet no cart, no arms, no overarching chat, no overarching messages. Yeah, I'll give them that the the Splatoon implementation itself, like when you actually play on the Splatoon part, you could see all your... The Splatnet too. Oh, Splatnet's great. Yeah, like all, like yeah, like all, all the stuff is great. Ordering stuff is easy. Seeing what levels are coming up is great. Everything about that part is cool. You mean like it's or- just contacting friends? And you mean like ordering the Yeezy shoes because Platoon has two yeah. separate Yeezy shoes, which is amazing that they actually did that. But but other than that, it just yeah, it's kind of a shame how annoying it is. Like I'm kind of tempted to just use like Discord because I do have Discord on my on my iPad, which oh, very nitpicky because this might not even apply to everyone but um one thing that i thought about using was like all right maybe look on the bright side i do have an ipad that i use for drawing and a bunch of other things yep and i have this case that kind of yogas itself so it could like stand up right i'm like okay cool i could have the ipad right in front of me easily tap the friend i want to talk to put it right in front of me so i could just plug in a headphone then i could still listen to the tv i don't need to plug in my switch to the let me guess, phone. does the app not work on the iPad at all? No, it does. Okay. The only thing is that it only has um it only has vertical. It doesn't have a, a horizontal view. Cuts let me guess. Is it an iPhone app running on the iPad versus an iPad app? No, it's still an I mean it works fine. I mean No but you know what I mean, like where it's like framed funny. You know sometimes iPad apps are either iPad native or they look like blown up iPhone apps. I mean And you could do a thing where you could zoom in if you tap the two oh. X like that it just i mean it looks fine ah, okay. forward i mean it just doesn't it just doesn't have a landscape mode on what either on either on either phone or ipod huh yeah it just takes it just stays in portrait which is kind of annoying because most stands don't really give you a way to stand your tablet yeah. in a portrait mode it's always a horizontal mode yeah but yeah the only thing i'm worried about which isn't i guess isn't really technically um chat related on the app itself but it still involves the app is the fact that i guess um yes and i'm calling you out because sure. this, is, this seems to be like the only time where it works um i, I, I guess <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong because i i have to because like i have I, to put I didn't, forward because i didn't splatoon um like we're at comic-con we jokingly well i guess it was jokingly and seriously 
Um, my goal for Splatoon is just to play the online, ultimately just to be playing online only with the same group of team. Like, where I'm just gonna, when I get oh, to, well, then I'm out. when I get to ranked mode, I just want to play in league mode. Like, always with the same four people, so we could chat, blah, 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 do Salmon Row, do Salmon Row with the same league people. But then I saw, I guess I had just forgot, because it was the same as Splatoon 1, like, what it takes to get to league mode. And we're like, oh, you have to have the B- in ranked mode. Oh, wait, but to get ranked mode, you have to reach level 10 in regular mode, and... It takes a while to get to rank like you're 10. Saying I'm, not rank. I'm still in rank 5. Sounds like you're saying I'm not going to rank. No, it's not that I don't think you have the skill to rank. It's that I don't think you're going to put the time into rank. Sounds like you're saying I'm not going to rank. I don't think you are. Sounds like you're saying I'm not. I hope you do. I because, think I will. Because it literally means that we will never play. I think I, I will. I think it's going to take you longer to get to rank 10 than you were going to bother. But no, I think I will. Then again. I will. I will. I will. Hmm, there's no game that's coming out in August or September. No, that you're ah, Rabbids. Mario and Rabbids, end of the month. Oh, never, you're not there. But, nope, I will. You're not. I will. You're not. We're shaking on it. When's the deadline? I don't want to shake on it, because I know this is the only way to get you to do it. <sighs> you figured me out. I don't know. Well, everyone, podcast had a great five and a half year run. I mean, I hope But now that this it. is his leverage, I'm going to stop doing the podcast. No, uh, yeah. I mean, I'll do it. I'll do it. I mean, this is what got you to beat Zelda Link Between Worlds. Well, that's because we had listeners pick what game I had to beat, and then I beat it. That's true. It's a little different. You you're not, you're, you're not a listener. You're a fellow participant. You don't even have to beat right. it. You have to... And I'll get to level 10. You have to 10. unlock a mode. I'll get to level 10. I unlocked any <laughs> no, original. It's not just level 10. Then you have to rank up to B-. minus. I take back everything I said. It's been good playing by... It's like, no. on, t- it's like on top of that. Well, I'm, I'm just saying, I did get ranked in the original. Or I got to whatever was necessary to do this in the first game. So Because yeah. it wasn't unlocked either. Not that you should so be able to. I, I mean, should be able to, and I will. I will. I mean, I think you start in either C or C+. So B- minus isn't that far. I will. Keep in mind, there's Splatfest coming up. I'll have opportunity. I play Splatfest, all of them. So that will rank me up. Also, how else am I going to get my Yeezy shoes in my Splatoon? I'm going to have to get enough coins to get them. That requires playing. So it's 9,000 coins for a pair of Yeezys. Well, I really hope 9, you do. 9,000. It's over 9,000. Because otherwise you will be replaced. Ouch. Well, considering last episode I wasn't even on your team when we were talking about this, I'm, I've somehow got moved up and then moved back. <laughs> so I'm kind of at where I started. But no, it's – yeah, I, I will. You'll see. You know what my big concern though about um, this whole online thing is just to get, me, get it off me and back to – I'm not the disaster. The app is a disaster. Let's go back to that disaster. But um, no, my big concern with the, all this, it's not even that like voice chat's convoluted. It's that this is stage one of what Nintendo ultimately plans is going to be a premium service. People are going to be paying money to do this weird convoluted thing that we're talking about right now. Like... It's a setup that's so backwards compared to, say, I don't know, Metroid Prime Hunters. When did that come out? 11 years ago, 2006? And in Metroid Prime Hunters, they had voice chat, they had lobbies, they had everything you need all on your DS, all for free, all 11 years ago. And now in 2017, we got none of it. And just to start a game, you have to have two devices running at the same time. Why? (laughs) I don't... Mario Kart 8 for Wii U did it right. Mario Kart 8 for Wii U did it right, but I'm saying like the first time Smash I did it right for was like, Wii U. Yeah, um, like what is Nintendo thinking? Where did this come from? Like it's very similar. This whole situation is very similar to Pokemon Go Fest. Like it's just one big bad PR move with something under it that's actually kind of decent. Like Go Fest had the upside of legendaries, right? But it was totally buried by the bad buzz of everything breaking. Switch Online app has the upside of Splatnet 2, as you mentioned. 
and it has a ton of information and it's really cool and you can buy in-game items from your phone because they rotate them out every day so if you don't have a chance to play you can just like pre-order it on your phone it's great but then the bad buzz about all the voice chat and lobby system like the fact that we've been talking about that for 10 minutes or whatever has totally buried it i mean you know it's bad when within days of the app going live if not before the app even going live there's already a kickstarter project to fix the problems of the app it's called Uniom, and what they're trying to do is come up with a workaround so you don't need to have so many headphones and splitters they're going to make a wireless headphone where it beams two audio channels one from your switch one from your phone into one headphone so it will merge the two audio tracks and the fact that a Kickstarter is needed to make this possible is insane when, again, Metro Prime Hunters on the DS was able to do this 11 years ago. Like, I don't get it. Like, everything you're describing, I'm just sitting here like, but Metroid did it. Even Mario Kart DS in 2004 had lobby systems on the game. Why is there no lobby system on the game? Like, it just, it just makes me wonder, like, was whose fault is this (laughs) was partnering with dna maybe a bad idea like i don't know how much of this was dna's infrastructure versus like nintendo's crazy product ideas but apparently 10 percent of dna about 100 people are working on nintendo's mobile games and on this app and other stuff and to me that makes it sound like they're more than just code monkeys on the project sounds like they're actually driving some of the vision and if you couple that with the fact that the good part of the switch online app splatnet 2 was made by uh, Hatena, the guys that did Flipnote Studio, so a totally different team, and that came out really well. It kind of makes me think DNA is part of the problem. Like, if DNA, I'm sorry if you're not the problem, and I'm just assuming, but Nintendo was doing fine until DNA came along. Their partner at Hatena is doing fine with Splatnet. The one thing that's weird is the thing that we know DNA is working on. So, I, I don't know, but like this whole thing is just so ridiculous. It shouldn't be this hard. It led to some great memes on Twitter of people like, yep, go play my game and like showing a guy buried in wires in a server room or something. But, you know, this is this is bad. There's no other way to say it. This is bad. It's not good, which is the meaning of bad, in case you weren't clear. But, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I we're probably, to some extent, making mountains out of molehills. But this is bad. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Enough of that negativity, though, because some good stuff happened too. You know, when when GoFest wasn't die, wasn't crashing and burning, and the app wasn't crashing and burning. There are some good third party announcements. Like if you're a fan of third party games on Switch, the months of September and October are shaping up real nice. Like there, I don't know if there's a secret memo that went out or what, but suddenly we have like a ton of third party games, by which I mean five, coming out over a five week span of September and October, and it's kind of cool to see that like third parties are starting to really ramp up with switch in a way so september we're getting uh both rayman legends definitive edition and dragon ball z xenoverse 2 about 10 days apart rayman on the 12th dragon ball on the 22nd in both cases they are enhanced ports which is kind of whatever but at least bandai namco and ubisoft are actually keeping things interesting like with rayman uh actually start with dragon ball with dragon ball for example they're adding a six-player local multiplayer mode for the first time optional motion controls via joy cons they're putting all the dlc in the game from the start and then for rayman you have ubisoft ag support for four player wireless play updated version of the kung fu soccer game and a tournament mode for up to eight people so i'm sure a lot of people are gonna be like this isn't exactly good news like you're just saying that there's ports coming to switch in september that we already knew about 
And you're right, these are ports coming to Switch in September that we already knew about. But I think what's key about these games, or what's interesting to me about it, is that they fit in so well with the current core pitch of Switch, Switch being a local multiplayer paradise, so to speak. Like, both DBZ and Rayman allow you to have a friend play with you with just one system. You can pass off a Joy-Con. There's single Joy-Con support. And, and yeah, that's Bandai also... is deciding to be like, nope. Xenoverse is going to be the be all end all on whatever nope. you get from Buddy Fighter Z. No, no, no. They did not say that at all. They said, we're releasing that first, then we'll see. They did the old, the good old wait and see how it goes thing that we're so used so to. Much. But here's the thing. Like, I think there's hope this time around. I think this, there, there's an advantage going on because all the games coming to Switch in September and October kind of fit this bill of like local multiplayer, like I was saying. Because yeah, you got Dragon Ball, you got Rayman, which has co op. You got FIFA, which is head-to-head. You got NBA 2K, which is head-to-head. Those are all in September, along with even unannounced ones, like uh, RBI Baseball 17 was just announced by MLB for Switch. It's Actually, that one's kind of interesting. I'm sort of diverting from my point here, but that one's kind of interesting because um, it's a full-fledged MLB game. All the teams, all the stadiums, updated rosters, but the pitch is that it's faster-paced and more like arcade-y. They're saying you can get through nine innings of that game in under 20 minutes. That's Which, again, best. is perfect for Switch, right? Like, it makes sense on Switch. So what's kind of nice to see is third parties, even with Xeno, uh, even with uh, Dragon Ball, whatever its real name is, Xeno, Xenoverse, there we go, Xenoverse 2. Even with Xenoverse 2, what's kind of nice to see is that third parties are consciously bringing over games that make sense on the platform, make sense on the Switch, because ultimately that means there's a better chance they will sell well, and then they will get more games we'll get more support from those companies which means we may get fighter we may get fighter z because if namco bandai sees oh hey there's an audience that's interested in this sort of multiplayer heavy dragon ball game it's not that hard you know they're testing the wires with an already released game easy to port over not that hard for them to just do dragon ball fighter z afterwards yeah if the audience is there it's more established because like if you not nightmare cops that might be too hard nightmare cops the behemoth game where i don't oh yeah, yeah. You want to talk about that? That was a weird interaction you had. Oh, man, I'm going to butcher it because I kind of forgot what I said. But long story short, I visited Behemoth Booth. They're known for... Alien uh, Hominid was Alien Hominid, Castle Crashers was really big. Um, they have a few other games, uh-huh. but... Um, Nightmare Cops, it's more like Castle Crashers. That game did not make it onto the Wii U with the PS3 and Xbox One, but it did beat that game. That game was really fun. It was a... A local co-op game. And you could play it online, but it was definitely designed to be played on the couch with your friends. It's just a beat-em-up. An over-the-top beat-em-up. And this one's an over-the-top shooter beat-em-up. But it looks more like a beat-em-up. Anyway, it still has the same art style. It's barely, it looks like a Flash game. Like mm-hmm. a nicely arted Flash game. 2D art Flash game. And I just asked them... Was it by chance looking like a Flash game? It was. Ah, oh, interesting. Um... <laughs> And I asked them, like, oh, any chance of this game coming to Switch? And they're, I mean, all their comments just pretty much sounded like they just didn't know what the Switch was really capable of or what it was doing. It's kind of dismissive, like, like, oh, we're going to have to make the game look really ugly for it to work on the Switch. Um, I don't know if the Switch can handle it. I don't think it has enough RAM. Now I understand why you emphasize the Flash game thing so many times. <laughs> yeah, because like the, the game, like sure, it looks pretty, but I mean, when you compare it to other things like Mario Kart 8 or something, you're kind of wondering like, how can they not make this work on Switch? I mean, I'm not a programmer, but 
if they're worried about power, it seems like the Switch would have more than plenty enough power for. Also, the Switch supports game. like all the major um, engines support things over Unity, Unreal. It shouldn't be that difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they just either. Well, it almost kind of sounded like a combination of they really don't know what the Switch is capable of, and they kind of didn't want to. Right. I don't know. But, but like, in terms of the Switch's capabilities or porting... Like, see, this is why I think it actually is kind of savvy. As much as ports are, like, whatever, it's kind of savvy of Bandai Namco and Ubisoft and whatnot to actually be doing Rayman three years later or, you know, Dragon Ball uh, Xenoverse 2 because they're able to go... Look at Rayman. Rayman is a couch co-op 2D and that has... It's mainly look. I mean, it mainly is like kind of a flash game with just mm-hmm. very awesome art direction. Yeah, I love the art style. Like, like that things. game, like trumps how Nightmare Cops looks. But yeah, I mean, yeah, but, game... but like if those can come over and if those companies are willing to bring over these old games, see how it goes, and then go from there. I don't know why someone like Behemoth is not even willing to entertain the thought. It can't be that expensive to developers. I know it's not. There's so many indie games. Yeah, like it's just, it's just weird. Who knows? And and the thing is like. Uh, the guys at Behemoth have had a history of success on Nintendo. Alien Hominid did surprisingly well on GameCube. Yeah. Like, really well. So it's weird that they're so dismissive. But but then again, I guess it is about... Or maybe it's just that guy. I mean, that guy was the programmer for... The head, the head of programming right, for right. Behemoth. But, like, either either way, it just seems like... Like, or I can understand like if this was the Wii era. Because in the Wii era, what happened was everyone was throwing everything against a wall and seeing what stuck. Like, do you remember when Rockstar brought Bully to the Wii? Why did Rockstar bring Bully to the Wii? Oh, hey, you can choke out a school kid with motion control. Great. But, like, that made no sense on the Wii. It didn't match the demographic of the Wii. It did okay, I think. But then did we ever see another game from Rockstar on the Wii? No, because it didn't make sense on the Wii. And then they're like, well, we tried. So at least, like, this time, to go back to my earlier point, this time with, like, Dragon Ball and Rayman they're doing games that make sense they're actually so even if they're still not like trying they are setting up a much easier pitch for the switch's audience which means they might actually entice people which means they might actually sell which means they might actually get new games from those franchises down the line so fighter z could be coming if behemoth was willing to take a gamble and port something over we could be getting the next behemoth game too or they could just bring it over cold and hope for the best but i guess they're not doing that um and to be fair, that's not to say some games aren't or some companies aren't fully taking the plunge. Like, I mean, Behemoth isn't, but uh, 2K most notably is taking the plunge. Like, they're giving us a full NBA 2K game, and they also just announced that they're bringing over the full WWE 20, uh, 2K18. Now, to be honest, I don't really know much about wrestling at all. I don't really care about wrestling at all. I know The Rock was at one point cooking something, but that's the extent of my knowledge. Um, But this game feels noteworthy for a few reasons, in my mind. I mean, first of all, this is the first time that Nintendo has had a WWE game on its systems in five years. WWE 13, I looked it up, for the Wii, was the last release of a WWE game for Nintendo platforms. And second... I don't know, this was big news. Yeah, and second, and perhaps more noteworthy... This is a fully featured version of the game on Switch. 2K isn't dropping anything from the Switch version. They're not releasing the Switch version any later. They are giving us the full... <laughs> They're treating it like... A real system. We get the full single-player My Career mode. We get the full online Road to Glory mode, which actually in and of itself sounds kind of cool. Like, you ba- you basically you make a custom wrestler, then you go take them online and fight other custom wrestlers. Kind of neat. But, like, th- this is things that... 
you know, we're not used to seeing from third-party Switch games, so it's kind of a nice surprise. But the real point here is that it's a fully featured day, game day and date with the other versions. It's such a nice change of pace, and I think there's a couple reasons why this is happening. I mean, first of all, wrestling games have a long history on Nintendo platforms. A lot of people loved the N64 ones. In fact, those would make good games for the uh, N64 Classic, now that I think about it. But those were super popular. So 2K and Nintendo can kind of play off that nostalgia with uh, 2K18 now. And second, the two... The... the um, the two companies, wow, I just told you I was I say the two of them, Nintendo and 2K, can also play off the Switch's target audience of, or target theme of local competitive play. Because WWE games, more than typical sports games, more than a lot of things, feel right at home next to, say, a Splatoon or a Mario Kart or an ARMS. They're kind of wacky, they're over the top. You go head to head, you know, it fits in. So there's like a party game aspect to him, kind of like I was saying last episode when this was just rumored. So we'll see how it does, but that's a good sign that 2K is all in on Switch. I think it's a great sign that um, Ubisoft and Bandai Namco are testing the waters in ways that make sense for what Switch is all about, opposed to just throwing things against the wall. It to me, it's 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 looking up. It's looking positive. Minus Behemoth, because they were being lame. A behemoth disappointment. Yeah, you could say that. But uh, speaking of ARMS, I mentioned ARMS as an example of a game that kind of meshes well with WWE. Um, speaking of ARMS, our last bit of news today is that the NPD numbers for June are now out. And that means we finally have a sense of how ARMS has sold and how it's doing. And that brings us to a Jason's Sales Corner, which we haven't done in a little while because E3 kind of stole the last one away from us. But the month of June was actually a really big one for fine games as a whole. Tekken number uh, Tekken number seven. Tekken seven debuted at number one. Injustice two had a really good second month and was in the number two spot. And then Arms, which again new IP on a system with a limited number of players, managed to land in number five, selling two hundred fifty six thousand copies. Which to me, that's pretty impressive for a new IP on a system with very limited players. Like it's just behind Crash Bandicoot on PS four on the rankings. It's um right above Zelda and Mario Kart, which also continues to sell quite well. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, additional 108,000 units in June. Uh-huh. Breath of the Wild, additional 145,000 units. So, like, ARMS, you know, th- that's like a triple threat right there, and they all were in the top 10. And the strength of the, the, strength of the Switch itself, along with, uh, actually, the PS4 having that gold version. Remember they, like, did the surprise gold version last month with the one terabyte hard drive? I think it was, like, a limited run or something. Mm-hmm. The two of them helped drive hardware sales on in the industry as a whole in the U.S. up 27% in June. And perhaps surprisingly, or perhaps not, that number also inc- is, includes a 40% decline in portables. And it's still up 27%, even with portables dropping 40 So Switch, in many ways, is literally carrying the industry. I mean, NPD called it the catalyst of growth, of year-to-date growth in their analysis. But, yeah, it's like while the 3DS begins to fall... Switch is kind of picking up the pace, and it's like a changing of the guard, so to speak. Uh, I mean, to be clear, it's not to say the 3DS software isn't selling. Fire Emblem Echoes was the best-selling 3DS game in June uh, for a second month. Ever Ever Oasis, only a week on the chart, was the fourth best-selling 3DS game, only behind Pokemon Sun and Moon. So, like, stuff is... People are still buying things and moving, but it does suggest that attention shifting away from 3DS, at least in this month. We'll see if the 2DS XL turns that around a little. Like, I'm curious how that will change things. But 
but time will tell. The real story, though, is ARMS, and ARMS doing well. Like, a quarter of a million is impressive, and a lot of that uh, came courtesy from Nintendo's pretty heavy marketing they've been doing. Like, they really pushed ARMS a lot. Uh, there's this company called iSpot.tv that tracks uh, marketing, like uh, advertising, TV advertising spending. And according to them, Nintendo was the single biggest gaming brand advertising in the entire month of June. Nintendo spent $6.6 million for seven different seven different ads, uh, ad spots, not slots, spots. And they aired it over tw- those ads over 2,500 times. They racked up 283.3 million ad imp- TV ad impressions. And these were commercials, by and large, for ARMS. They aired them during the NBA Finals. They aired them on Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, Comedy Central. In other words, they were not messing around with ARMS. They want this thing to be big. And on, you know, obvious, obviously a big part of it is also to promote the Switch itself. Mm-hmm. But they want it to be big, and they got decent sales out of it. So, like, Nintendo's going all in. The, the question is now, what next for ARMS? Because getting people to know what it is and releasing it is like only half the battle here. Like we talked last episode when we were sharing impressions about how Nintendo wants it to they become to a competitive fighter. to get it over right. Splatoon now. Right, and you need to get a reason for that. And there needs to be some sort of longevity with ARMS and we don't know if there is. Like there needs to be like a stickiness to uh... it, so to speak. Ha, longevity. I'm full of unintentional puns today. But no, but seriously, like how are they going to make it into an evergreen title like Mario Kart or Splatoon, especially against Mario Kart and Splatoon? It seems... You know, no amount of ad dollars is going to do that. It's going to be word of mouth. It's going to be competitive play. It's going to be tournaments. It's going to be that sort of stuff. And I think they're already making adjustments to the game that seem to address some of that. Like two days after we posted our podcast about the, um, you know, our arms impressions and, oh, we really are sad that there's no stat tracking, they released an update with stat tracking, which is, you know, skewing for competitive people. They also, in that same update, uh, I think it was the July 12th update, right? The mm-hmm. one with uh, Max Brass. They also c- took out Kid Cobra's stage because it was unfair for competitive play, so it's not in ranked battles anymore. You can still play it elsewhere in the game, just not ranked battles. They rebalanced a bunch of the arms. They replaced it with Max Brass's stage. Yeah, they replaced it with Max Brass's. And they uh, you know, they replaced a bunch of the arms. And like I said, they put in that full stat, tra- stat tracking, which not only was tracking what you've done, but actually tracks like pre-update, post-update, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, it goes by version. Yeah, like it's really in depth. Yeah, and I like that they actually put punch notes, which I mean makes sense because they're actually treating this game like an actual competitive game. Right. Nintendo never saw Smash Bros. as a competitive game, so all they said was stabilized and make the game more fun. Well, so, it's like it's like when they update the Wii U or 3DS and they say that they've improved stability, which they've been saying for two years. At some point, it's stable enough. <laughs> it's so stable. It's so stable. Stability intensifies, but it's never fallen off my table. Yeah. But um. But yeah, I mean, like the stat. As you're a competitive fighting game fan, or did they did the stats do the trick? Like, because that was a big thing we were complaining about last episode. Like, did, is it did they actually cover? All I mean, the bases? it wasn't so much a complaint. It was just like just felt like something else was missing. Well, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> uh, sort of. They still kind of stumbled with it. There's no stat tracking for ranked. Really, I didn't even notice that. Really, like, you could because I don't do ranked. It, I do it party tracks mode. your rank. It tracks. I guess how many times you win in other ver- in other modes of the game, but from what I could tell and from what I remember, it doesn't tell you how many times you like won versus lost in ranked. That seems like a very which, weird. Which is oversight. really annoying because ranked is still like I don't know. I guess it's their important mode, but I don't know. It's I don't know. It's well, ranked weird. is like clearly they care about ranked. They took out the stage. They understood the necessity to do yeah, that. Yeah, but then I don't know. There's like no menu for ranked. It's just activate it and fight, and that's it. You're only that's so weird. You're only 
tracker for ranked is your current rank, which is either Whirly Gig or Tornado or whatever. Right, right. Just some funny buzzword. Yeah. Well, I mean, Splat- Splatoon does the same thing with the rank. Well, no, they have letters, but like when you're in a when you're in a Splatfest, they have funny names like, oh, you're a newbie or you're a fanboy or you're whatever. Ice cream fangirl, ice yeah. cream fanboy. Exactly. But, well, that's a bummer. I didn't even notice that because, again, I never play ranked. I only do a party. Because I mean, party's where it's at. It's so. getting better. Yeah, it's a, right, a step in the right direction. And, like, in tandem with all those adjustments, they're also... It's not enough for me to recommend it to someone. At the full price. Yeah, yeah it still doesn't quite pack a punch. But, oh. So I told them just to wait until, like, there's more meat to it. When there's more meat on the bu- on the bone. Wait, I was trying to figure out a pun, but that doesn't make... That's not a punching pun or an arms pun. When the arm is has more muscle, no. Nope. When the arms buffer, when there's more. Once they work it out, there we go. That was me workshopping in real time. Everyone has a peek inside my brain. But uh, what I was gonna say is that in tandem, I, I it sounds like there's still work to do on the game, but it, they seem to be shifting the marketing to try and get that competitive player attention, which is interesting because like Splatoon has kind of pivoted into being the main driver of like mainstream marketing. My dad was actually just in Germany, and he was telling me he saw multiple Splatoon commercials on German TV. But, um, yeah, it seems like for ARMS, they're moving it towards tournaments more and competitive play. Like, the big TV-facing push is kind of gone, and tournaments are kind of filling the void. Like, e- even at Comic-Con, they did an ARMS open tournament on Saturday and streamed it on Twitch, which seems relatively whatever. But when you think about the fact that that's Splatoon launch weekend... And instead of doing a Splatoon tournament on launch weekend, they went and did an ARMS tournament to me. And they flew in a couple like yeah. real ARMS players, including the guy that won an E3 tournament. To me, that seems like it's a very conscious effort to push ARMS as a competitive game and move the marketing in that direction. And that does, don't even get me started on the fact that like Evo is now going to Japan, Evo Japan, and ARMS is one of the games that will be in the competition. It's pretty crazy. And not yeah. Melee. Not Melee. It's Smash Bros. for Wii U and ARMS from Nintendo. And the fact that Nintendo actually was able to convince yeah, which, the Evo folk to, to put be ARMS fair, in like, it I mean, is big. No, no, no respect to any of the like the professional Melee players. Because, I mean, Melee is still a very, like, high-precision, like, very technical game. Yeah. But, I mean, talking purely as a spectator, because, I mean, I, do, I did like to play in competitive at some point. But just as a spectator, it kind of feels like we've seen everything the game has to offer at this point. Like, it's been at Evo for seven years, mm-hmm. and the people that are good at Melee, like the pros, or the gods as they refer to them, like, it's always the same. Grand Finals always comes down to the same four. It's always Music right. King, Mango, Armada, and I forget the other guy's name. But it doesn't matter. It's always, like, those four people. It's always them every time. There's never any surprise mm-hmm. person. Sure, Brawl, I mean, Smash 4, the one for the Wii U, you always get slightly different people. Like, Zero always wins. They're still somewhat the same. Yeah top eight but there's always someone new every year someone else is always like surprising and people are getting the game is still being figured out but melee just kind of feels like it's played out it's kind of played out and for it to be replaced with arms kind of feels like a big deal for Nintendo to say like the fact, yeah we're yeah. kind of we're just going to let you guys go like that way like I know it's a hard game to play but like just spectator wise like I mean you the whole point of evil is like I mean it is important for the game to be highly competitive but it still has to draw on the views otherwise I mean, it has to make right. money. It's still and a that's how you keep, And that's how you keep arms evergreen. Yeah. You make it part of Evo. I mean, they're separately also I doing... Mean, it's, also Melee. it's a GameCube game. Like, yeah. I mean, the fact it's that it's... literally still, 16 it's, years old. I mean, yeah, it's it's a testament to the fact that it was still being played at Evo. I mean, mm-hmm. sure, like, terms will never die for it. I mean, there's still... Uh, 
Smash 64 tournaments at right. high-end places. They're just not streamed. I mean, Melee could still be at Evo. It could just not be streamed. Right. It's know? not part of the, like, televised yeah. roster. There's a so bunch of side tournaments going on. But yeah, and, that, and, and, and the thing is, like, what was I going to say? I had to do Melee. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, it, it's no different than it was, let's say, three years ago before anyone gave it attention. Like, those people can still happily go play. I know they want more it does, out of it, but... Yeah, it does look that a lot of them only play Melee, and that is kind of like their bread and butter. Source, source of income. Yeah, that that's... So, th- see, that's I mean, an issue with esports. I'm curious how that like shakes so, like out some in of the those players, like Mitsuki in particular, he was smart enough to Pivot. learn Smash 4, and he's, like, one of the top cloud players in Smash 4. So he's, like, doing great, like, that and like in that sense like, yeah but everyone else that didn't it's like what are you gonna do once they stop playing it you just have to learn to complete it because they only play that like actually come to think of it a lot of like pro a lot of pro players that are sponsored like they play multiple games like justin wong you play street fighter marvel's camp pretty much every capcom game you can imagine killer instinct mortal kombat a lot of them play almost like four or five games smash brothers players usually only play smash brothers it does, see. I, I was trying to say a second ago. It, this mm. does it beg. This does lead to a weird question. So, in real sports, the sports stay around. How does this work for ten years from now with esports, or fifteen from years from That's now? That's true. I mean, some games are very long term. Like, um, it's not even, you know, yeah. uh, Starcraft. I, there's still big things for Counter Strike. Still has things. I guess it's because but you have. Like, way, well, it's because they're bigger. Like, sure, it's the same sport, but. I mean, you have, like, you're com- pretty much competing with the world in some cases. Yeah. In this case, it's literally, like, the same four people. It'd be like if, like, it's always the Dodgers, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know, name three other teams I can barely name. Anyone but Dodgers. Angels, Giants, and Yankees. There you go. Like, let's say those four teams dominated <laughs> every series. It's always them, and that's it. I right. feel like people well, will stop caring. Well, that's what New England's like in football sometimes. The Patriots. Yeah. But no, but I mean, like... But sometimes there's upsets, and then... I mean, like, I remember the... Like, like I remember at some point the Giants, I guess, never won, and now they did, and now... Well, yeah, normal, that's the thrill but... of all sports. But I'm just saying yeah. that, like, uh, in 30 years from now, because this is... Un- yeah, cause you know, territory that doesn't oh, happen. Yeah, so yeah, sports are over 100 years old, games. Yeah, like, what? how many people 30 years from now are going to be like, oh, dude, let's bust out Melee and watch the live stream? Like is well, that or well, let's go let's hop in our hologram room and and pretend we're at Evo twenty thirty five and there's the melee stage like is that well we have it to doesn't get really, there that's the thing I know but I'm curious how it's gonna shake out I mean honestly I feel like oh, I mean competitive gaming is still super young I feel yeah. like if it, if like let's say sports were this young like let's say baseball was still like becoming a thing I know that's really hard to imagine because it's always been a thing. I feel like it would be kind of the same thing. Like, I feel like, are we going to really care about people just chasing a ball around with the stick that you hit? Yeah, I guess the difference is we're now seeing games get pushed to the wayside at, with Melee. Yeah. So it's, it's, but it, time it's will tell. Yeah, it's because like, they get turned out faster. Like they, right, right, that's what I'm getting yeah. at, yeah. But do, so do you think this is enough for ARMS? Because so for ARMS, we have, as Nintendo pivots to being more tournament-based marketing, no more big TV spends or whatever for ARMS. We have, you know, tournaments at random conventions, that are put on Twitch. We have Evo Japan, which is huge. We have them doing the uh, Arms Open Circuit or whatever they're calling it in Japan, where they're going to four different cities with an actual competitive tour. Is that enough? In the competitive I mean, fire game it, gamers' opinion, you is that enough to give Arms some sustainability? Could it be enough to make this a big it thing in due time? Down to the the participants. So it's like, just if it's captivating to watch. 
Yeah, if it's captivating to watch and the players actually like give it their all and like can show that arms can be as deep as it's is fun to watch, I guess. I mean, I will and, say it was fun to watch at E3. I was super it, into that. That's all it's really going to come down to. Sure. But yeah, cause because... I, like, you know, because, like, yeah, Nintendo did a good job. Like, they are laying the groundwork for it to potentially be really big. But Which is so nice to see. But the competition has to be there. Right. Like, if it's not there, then it will all be fun. Well, yeah, and that was a little worry... Not worrisome, but that was a little... So the open tournament at Concom was won by one of the guys Nintendo flew in, who's good at arms. He's also, I think, the best Little Mac in the U.S. Yeah, I think I think that's the same guy. But Soul, um, Soul, I think but it's just kind of like, is there the only thing I can see going wrong with Arms is they're doing all this ramp up of tournament play rather quickly. But you know, the Evo is until next year. This the tournament in Japan is until the fall. Like, people obviously will come out of the woodwork and be really good. But are, are we gonna have the situation you're describing with Melee happen in Arms extremely fast because it's a smaller? Like Melee had the had the advantage of being the second game in the series and blowing up instantly when it came out, Actually, and then what, people were weird out. But you know, it's a huge but, but pool to but, choose from. This a, one, it's a smaller yeah, pool. And that's the thing about Melee too. Like, I guess the reason you also mainly have the same people always winning is because you don't really get that many new players. No one right. really wants to play. That's what I'm saying about like his I mean, arms gonna fall into that. Yeah, right. like on top of finding a GameCube or I guess a lot of people could just play on emulators, but the game is. I guess really hard to get into compared to Smash mm-hmm. Four, and mm-hmm. at that point, like. Smash 4 is much bigger, like, even money-wise. Like, you're better off just getting into Smash 4. Like, Melee yeah. is slowly dying. Yeah. Like, no matter what anyone says, like, it's slowly dying, I guess, in as far as mainstream competitiveness goes. I mean, it's still going to be hyper-competitive. That's never going to go away, but... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think ARMS has the risk of being Melee before it even blows up, in terms of the, the, the pool to choose players from. But... Yeah. But... Depending on how quickly Nintendo does this marketing, maybe not. That's the thing, too. Like, you also can't have too many fighting games out, because, like... Well, fighting games are having a renaissance no, I right know, now, that's in like, general. Well, it's like a second renaissance, because for yeah. a while, there weren't any, then Street Fighter Four happened, and then, like, everything now, came out of the world. I mean, the fact that the top... And then it just never, like, really ramped down, and now it's, like... It feels like every company has, like, a fighting game, and... Even even Nicholas is doing one. You know about that, right? Yeah, yeah like, with, like, the cave story characters and some You can only have so many... Like, people can only get good at so many games, like... Yeah. But yeah, it's very telling to me that three out of the top five games on the NPD chart this month were fighting games. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. But I guess time, in the case of ARMS, I guess time will tell. Like, I really hope it does well for Nintendo because I... Like, we, we talked about it a lot this episode, but I do... The game has such great personality, and, like, it's a really fun game overall. So, you know, I really hope it does Did well for Nintendo. Did that picture on Nintendo tweeted today? That's hilarious. Of uh, Twintel? Yeah. Uh, maybe... It was like, like, oh, look at her brand. You have to zoom in. But now we can see that all her clothing brands and shoes are from the same company. I did not see that. And they literally, like, zoom into her buttocks. Oh, do they? Just so you can see the brand. Wait, did they? I like how you say buttocks because we're on a recording. Oh, wait, you're right. I just found the tweet. Yep. 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 Got a close they know their thing. fan base well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I, I will say... Um, it's not just Arms that has great personalities. Splatoon also has great well, personality. Yeah. We're gonna be talking a lot about Splatoon a lot next of these episode. Games, not just Nintendo games, but yeah. yeah, we're gonna talk about Splatoon specifically though next episode, quite in depth. But before we go, we have one small yet very important Splatoon-related topic that we must discuss. Oh discuss, not discussed, and that's because in early August, possibly before our next episode, we will be experiencing the next Splatfest in Splatoon, oh. and the matchup. You thought I had a real topic? No, and the matchup of the Splatfest is Team Ketchup versus Team Mayonnaise. So I think I know, because I know you. But I'm just going to go ahead and ask, what side are you on and why? 
Mayonnaise because it makes wait, sandwiches what? taste amazing. Hold on. Whoa, wait. May- really? Mayonnaise on sandwiches is the best thing ever. Ketchup uh, could kind of work. Wait, what just happened? Okay, so for those who don't know why I'm freaking out, which would hopefully be all of you unless you stalk him and me, I've known Angel since the start of college. Throughout all of college, he put ketchup on everything. So either he's trolling me right now, or something happened to him in the last while, and he just never said it, and now he's a mayonnaise connoisseur. I don't know how to interpret this. Are you trolling? You're trolling. I love ketchup, but... Um, I'm I'm re- ke- I'm legitimately shocked right now. Ketchup was definitely more of a college thing. Um, after I graduated... Oh, it's just a phase? Is, is that Some people like question their sexuality, you go through a ketchup phase. <laughs> so. I don't know. Well, I mean, is that to say... I don't know. It's a dumb thing to compare to. It should really be like ketchup. It should be ketchup and mustard. Ketchup and mustard or something. Just, I agree. Just because I, it, also, yeah, because it's not like I replaced mayonnaise. I mean, come on, my ketchup with mayonnaise because you don't do that. Like they're completely different kinds of condiments. But I, I will have, say though, sometimes but, but it's surprisingly good to use mayonnaise instead of ketchup, like in chicken sandwiches, like chicken burgers. Yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, but I have noticed that um, my use of ketchup has decreased significantly in the past but i'm legitimately shocked that you said mayonnaise i was expecting ketchup but i thought i'd have to defend mayonnaise because i'm all i'm team mayonnaise all the way so i, mean, I love mayo and sandwiches i mean that is why i'm definitely going to be fighting for ketchup at the Splatfest. you were trolling me okay so i do feel so you, I, I still stand so behind gave, my words so you gave my argument for why i'm team mayonnaise thank you but then you said ketchup anyway i stand okay. behind what i say but um i'm still gonna fight for team ketchup for the legacy. For the legacy. For those experimental college years where you no. and ketchup had a little thing for a while. No, that was, gotcha. like, that was like since like, far back I can remember. It wasn't just college that I used ketchup on everything. Uh, I've so always you know, used ketchup so, on everything. Okay, so now it's just post-college that you're just starting to cheat with mayo. I gotcha. Not even. I know they're separate. I, just, I want to run with this The, the amount of mayo I've used hasn't changed. Yeah. It's only the amount of ketchup I've used that's decreased slightly. I see. See, I, I, I'm the type of guy that... So I'm Team Mayo. And because I never... I don't know. It's such a dumb comparison. I don't it know is. why they're doing But I, I was just going to say, I'm the type of guy that if someone brings me ketchup with my french fries, I will dip the fries, but I never go get the ketchup. And I'll eat ketchup in a sandwich or a burger just fine, but I'll never go get the ketchup because, like, it's work to pump the little ketchup and then put your french fry in it, and then the french fry is wet, and I like crispy wow, fries. Wow, how weak are you? No, I mean, like, you have to get up and walk over. Not like it takes muscle, but... <laughs> I just, I just prefer my fries crispy, and ketchup makes them less crispy. So unless it's in front of me, I don't do it. So I am mayo 100%. 100%. But I, I'm still – you still had me reeling about the mayo thing. That really I, caught me off guard. You know, I'm, I'm used to a lot of surprises on this show because we, we are random Nintendo after all. But that – that was something else. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so on that note, on, on that note, we have reached the end of the show. Um, as I mentioned, we've got a lot of thoughts on Splatoon 2 coming your way next episode. Uh, that will be back on our usual schedule, which means you can expect it on August 6th along – wow, I said 6th really weird. Like that's a bit of a lisp. Anyway, along with um, Splatoon, we're also going to have impressions of a surprisingly great Switch co-op game, at least from what I've heard from you, secondhand, Death Squared. And, of course, all the latest news, um, including a breakdown of Nintendo's latest financial report, which that we are recording this – fun. We are recording to. this later than usual I think Nintendo's financials are actually hitting right now as we finish recording this. But yeah, we'll have a full breakdown of all those numbers and what that means and whatever else Nintendo chooses to announce. I don't believe they have an investor meeting this time. I think it's just the numbers. But we'll, we'll have plenty to talk about. Don't you worry. So to make sure you don't miss it, you can follow us on Twitter at RamNintendo. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Eye, Google 
play music, whatever you use, we're there. And if you want to see what either of us individually have to say about any gaming things, non-gaming things, uh, you can do so. I am JSR7 on Twitter. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. And that pretty much does it. So we will see you in the aftermath of the great ketchup and mayo battle of 2017. That is cool.